Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. And welcome back to Flavor Politic Podcast. It's the 11th of March, year of our Lord, 2020. Welcome back. Hump Day. Yeah, Hump Day. Today, wow, it just doesn't end. It's some more ugly left going up to start the front. It's just Biden. Some of you might catch that, some of you might not from an SNL skit. It's just Pat, because we've turned the corner. There's no more burning. No. There's no more Bernie. We're, we're going straight Biden. He swept the primaries last night, so it looks like it's going to be a Biden-Trump. And our back end of This Is America shows how far the media will go. Because the way he acted, I think it was yesterday in Michigan. Wow. Old man's got a temper. That's all I got to say. So before we head right in with less than a great opening because there's not much to talk about i just want to get into the show i once again want to say hello to acuda spain muchos gracias for keep on listening you keep it in in the top cities and clifton new jersey wow 80 listens thank you clifton new jersey that's a lot of listens and uh i appreciate it so let's go into our violent left Bullies don't win. And I said, baby, they don't. Because we're going to go in there, we're going to impeach them all. Talking about women's reproductive rights when you've got a dick. I've had two abortions. I don't give a fuck. It's my body. Realize the biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right, up to the right. All punches are not equal morally. And I'm not here, I just want to be clear to freak people out, okay? Uh, but here's the thing. Consider this. How does anyone, you, me, Vice President Pence, know how to handle a situation if we don't know the full scope of the problem we face? In fact, when it comes to any difficult problem that any policymaker faces, you cannot solve the problem if you do not properly know the scope. And we have had three months, three months, to prepare for the coronavirus to come to the U.S. since the outbreak started in Wuhan, China. And we have completely failed so far. The federal government and the Trump administration have completely failed up until now. And we are now weeks and weeks behind where we should be. And the biggest problem right now, way above anything else, is that the government is not testing at capacity. Right? To measure the spread of the disease, you need to test for it. And the testing for this is, it, it's similar to all sorts of tests for, for common illnesses. Other countries are doing it at, at tremendous scales. You swab some saliva, you run it through a machine, it tells you if the patient has coronavirus. The problem is, we do not have anywhere near the capacity we need. And that is because the first step, the first test developed by the Centers for Disease Control was deficient. It was so bad they had to recall it. It was giving false positives. And then the CDC also had kind of 
kept a monopoly to itself on testing, and other people couldn't develop their own tests. So when that test didn't work, we were kind of out of luck. So now they're letting other places develop their own tests, but it hasn't been deployed quickly enough. They're shipping out thousands of tests, uh, and that's fine. The CDC is finally starting to send them out across the country, but there's huge bottlenecks still. So the, the key thing is that as of today, if you are a random doctor somewhere who has a patient presenting symptoms, and you think this person might have coronavirus, it's very hard as of today to get them tested for it. The CDC has also not told us um, how much they are testing, which I think is weird, particularly because at the beginning of the crisis, the CDC was telling us how many tests they were running a day, and then they just took that number off their website. And so it was left up to news organizations to try to track down the numbers of how many tests have been run. And get this, it's less than 2,000 tests in the entire country. Okay, so today, these two great reporters of the Atlantic did a lot of, like, shoe-leather reporting, but they reported the following. Uh, we can only verify that 1,895 people have been tested for the coronavirus in the United States. Less than 2,000 people. For context, in South Korea, more than 66,000 people were tested within the first week of the first case of community transmission. South Korea is now testing 10,000 people a day. Now, the worst of the outbreak in the U.S., of course, has been centered around Seattle, Washington. We have 14 people who have died in that state so far. And a spokesperson for the Seattle mayor told Yahoo News that only 100 people have been tested in an area that's inhabited by 3.4 million people. And somehow now, even now, even two weeks after a senior city official warned that we need to prepare for disruption, we still have reports as of today there is limited testing capacity in the places on the front line of this ap epidemic from Washington to California. Here's a headline uh, in the L.A. Times today. Look at this. Chaos at hospitals due to shortage of coronavirus tests. And the article quotes one California doctor explaining how people working in the ER exposed to the virus cannot get tested. Quoting him here. The doctor said another suspected coronavirus patient was a transplant nurse whose job is to work with immunodeficient patients. I said, come on, please, we need to test her. And if you want to get a sense of why this is so dangerous, um, it's worth taking a moment to take another, a look at another famous disaster. And I want to be clear here before this section of monologue that the stakes of that disaster much, much higher, a much bigger disaster, much greater scale of devastation and misery. But the thing is, there's a lot to learn from studying disasters, whether that's the Challenger launch decision, or it's the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, or the financial crisis, or in this case, the nuclear accident at Chernobyl. And one of the most disastrous things that happened in Chernobyl is when the accident first happened, people all through the chain of command, good people, smart, skilled people, they didn't want to believe it was as big a deal as it was. Nobody wanted to suggest things might be even worse than everyone thought. And they brought out their tools to measure the levels of radiation. And the radiation detector said it was 3.6 Röntgen per hour. Okay? Now, Röntgen per hour is how you measure radiation levels. And they thought, ah, not great, but not terrible. At the high end, but, but not terrible. Here's the problem. The tool they were using to test the radiation only went up to 3.6. <laughs> It's a true story. They were maxing out. The tool they were using to measure the scope of the problem was insufficient. And later on, when they brought out military-grade equipment, the real measurement was 15,000 Röntgen per hour. 
they were off by a factor of somewhere in the neighborhood of 4,500, 5,000. That's why measurement matters. And here's the thing. We have already seen a version of this in the U.S. with Trump's leadership in a time of crisis. You remember back in uh, September 2017, of course, Hurricane Maria devastated Puerto Rico. And in the aftermath of that storm, there was this kind of complete disconnect between what was being presented as the scope of the problem and the actual scope of the problem. And day by day, it became clearer and clearer the Trump administration's response and the Puerto Rican government's response were both totally inadequate, right? People did not have drinking water. They didn't have a place to sleep. There was no electricity. There were many, many elderly people who were not getting needed medical care like dialysis. And then President Trump flew down to Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria to assess the damage. And he sat there and he took a victory lap over the death toll in Puerto Rico and how low it was compared to Hurricane Katrina. Every death is a horror. But if you look at a real catastrophe like Katrina, and you look at the tremendous hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that died, and you look at what happened here with really a storm that was just totally overpowering, nobody's ever seen anything like this. Now, what is your what is your death count as of this moment? 17? 16 certified. 16 people certified. 16 people versus... In the thousands. Right. What's your death count? 16. 16 certified. Except that number was wrong. Of course. The number was the equivalent to 3.6 Rentkin. It was only what they had measured. Almost a year later, once researchers went into the island and they look at the death toll, we learned it was 3,000 people. Not 16. But Trump got away with it politically. That's the lesson that he learned from Puerto Rico. Because we did not find out the 3,000 excess deaths number until it was off the front page and after the cameras were gone. And he never paid a political price for it. There was never any commission or gold star inquiry. There was never any systematic investigation into what went wrong. Just Donald Trump saying, Puerto Rico is a great success story. And he's applauded by Republican members of Congress and the State of the Union. So the president faked his way through it by mismeasuring the crisis on the front side and got on the backside with pure BS. And that is very much what it looks like he's doing right now. So here he is today. He's signing a $8.3 billion spending bill to fight coronavirus, and he's wearing the same costume he wore when he went to Puerto Rico <laughs> after Hurricane Maria. Weirdly, why? He's in the White House. He's bragging that he got $8 billion when he only asked for two, and that the coronavirus came out of nowhere. And in the middle of all this, he's joking with reporters and tossing his pen to them. Just like he tossed those paper towels to the people of Puerto Rico. And if you're concerned at all about what his priorities are, then listen to him at the CDC today. He is talking about what to do with a cruise ship off the coast of California right now that is filled with Americans, thousands of them, who have been exposed to the coronavirus. They would like to have the people come off. I'd rather have the people stay, but I'd go with them. I told them to make the final decision. I would rather, because I like the numbers being where they are, I don't need to have the numbers double because of one ship. That wasn't our fault. I like the numbers. I would rather have the numbers stay where they are. But if they want to take them off, they'll take them off. But if that happens, all of a sudden your 240s obviously going to be a much higher number, and probably the 11 will be a higher number. You, yeah, that, you, you heard what you just heard. He's saying 
that his preference in defiance of the experts is that the sick Americans stay marooned on the boat because he doesn't want the numbers going up for him, which is the perfect example of him doing it again. All he cares about are the numbers, not the actual problem. He went into Puerto Rico and he said 16 people died. And now here he is saying, keep them on the boat. So my coronavirus numbers don't go up. I want to keep them where they are. Shortly after, we learned two things. One, Vice President Mike Pence announced he plans on taking those Americans off the ship. And two, there are 21 people infected with the coronavirus on that cruise ship. And in this way, in this one way, viruses like radiation. Can't see it. It's going to go where it's going to go. But we can properly deal with this. We can reduce transmission. We can take the proper steps. This is not going to be World War Z. There is nothing to panic over or lose sleep over personally. It is actually the truth. You've heard this from the administration. It is true that more people will die this year of the common flu than this virus, almost certainly. But, 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 okay? In order to keep the outbreak manageable, we have to measure it properly. Because you cannot spin a virus. Other countries like China learned that early on. But spinning is all our presidents knows. And this is what happens when you elect a BS artist to the most important job in the country. He has BSed his way through his entire career. He has BSed his way through the crisis. And he is trying to BS his way through this one. And so here we are. One who can be relied upon for factual information. While irrational panic is to be avoided, the facts need to be clear and the public needs to be informed. However, the president said this on February 27th about coronavirus cases. Uh, we're going down, not up. We're going very substantially down, not up. That's not true. Cases have gone up. The virus is spreading. And just as false, this week, two White House officials publicly claimed the coronavirus has been contained. The coronavirus has not been contained. The number of states and counties affected continue to rise, as does, as does the number of confirmed cases. And sadly, deaths. President Trump keeps suggesting that a vaccine could be ready in a matter of months. This despite the nation's top infectious disease expert and multiple pharmaceutical CEOs cautioning that it will be longer than that. It will be months before a vaccine will even be ready for testing and a year to 18 months before it is deployable. It is a seemingly never-ending cascade of lies. The president made this claim on Friday. They have the test, and the tests are beautiful. Anybody that needs a test gets a test. That's not true. It's false and directly contradicted by Vice President Pence, who is leading the coronavirus response. We don't have enough tests today uh, to meet uh, what we anticipate will be the demand going forward. At a time like this, when the public needs accurate information so it can avoid panic and pursue caution, being able to believe what our leaders tell us is vital. But President Trump keeps diminishing the severity of this situation. What's driving it? Well, here's what President Trump said on Friday about keeping sick Americans on board a cruise ship off the coast of California. I would rather, because I like the numbers being where they are, I don't need to have the numbers double because of one ship. That wasn't our fault. He likes the numbers where they are, even if that were to mean artificially keeping them lower by keeping sick Americans off the coast. The president's number one job is to protect 
American lives, not to keep the numbers where they are. At the CDC Friday, the president spoke of having a natural ability for science and medicine, except doctors swear by the Hippocratic Oath, first do no harm. And all of these lies are doing harm. Fareed Zakaria sits down with Hillary Clinton next. These people who believe Trump over facts, over science, over anything, but him, his Twitter feed, that's the truth to them. These are people you go to work with, that you ride the bus with, they're the parents of your children's classmates. Trump supporters who, you know, God love them, they believe anything that Donald Trump said. Right. So you may have people who are willfully refusing to check that sniffle because they think it's, it's not true. Trump. It's, a, right. it's, a, it's a myth that's meant to undercut Donald Trump. And they Matt, you and I were talking about it, the, the, and we were talking about it just before the break, it, what the Iran hostage crisis was the yeah. final year of Carter's presidency. Not his fault, but it's it's a test in real time. And this is what this is, seems to be. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing. It's what you guys are talking about, right? It's one thing when all the Republicans in Washington say, hey, he says some crazy stuff on tax policy or this or that, but we, we've got it handled. It's a different thing when the president is out there leading publicly in a crisis like this and people are, are seeing it in real time, taking their cues from it. There is, you know, there is a certain capacity for chaos in American voters. They don't like chaos. They don't like uncertainty. The markets don't like it. The voters don't like it. We don't like it in our daily lives. I'm frankly surprised that the exhaustion from that chaos has been as slow in coming as it has in the mm -hmm. American public. But this does hold the potential, if yep. it goes badly, to become a kind of Jimmy Carter-like scenario where the public just says, can't wake up with this anxiety every day. We've got to have some doctor's office and get a test. In addition to that, Mr. Vice President, uh, just a, a short while ago, the president described Governor Inslee of Washington State, who you just met with yesterday, as a snake. He also described the coronavirus test compared it to the phone call that he had with uh, the leader of Ukraine. Is the president addressing the situation with the seriousness it requires? Well, I promise you, President Trump has no higher priority than the health and safety of the American people. And he's assembled an extraordinary group of Americans and agencies. I'm a little more than a week into leading the White House uh, coronavirus effort, and I, I couldn't be more proud and more impressed of the team that the president assembled. Um, but uh, I think your first question is a very important one, Jim, and I appreciate it. Um, the president's exactly right that for the state laboratories, for the communities that have been impacted, that have concerns about the coronavirus, we have been able to respond to requests for tests. And literally, you can hear that uh, the test that's uh, been made available uh, uh, since the first of this month is literally mounts in the hundreds of thousands and millions of tests. But for the American public uh, to have access to the coronavirus test, it's the reason why President Trump brought in this week all of the CEOs of the top commercial laboratories in the country. They're the ones that we believed could spin up uh, a new test very rapidly. They have enormous logistics and manufacturing capabilities. And we said to them, we want you to work together uh, because while whilst all state labs can now conduct their own test, and while we've, as I described, and as uh, Dr. Hahn described, we've distributed hundreds of thousands, in fact, uh, over a million tests around the country. I know, I know, that's a long sound bite. That was 17 minutes. But how do I not play that on the show? Because that's our media. It's no longer a Denver councilwoman. It's no longer a podcaster. 
It's our media. Joy Reid, children of Trump supporters are coronavirus threat. She said that. Todd, coronavirus could be like the Iran hostage. Two tappers just losing his shit. Acosta confronting Pence. And a CPAC attendee got corona. He came in. And they relished in it. They relished in it so much, that wasn't even the worst sound bites. On the back end, we have CNN fantasizing about coronavirus taking Trump down. And right now, we have two, from a person who has a show on MSNBC, going on late night and hoping it'll affect Trump. And the second sound bites you're going to hear, I'll leave a little break. You'll hear some silence, and then you'll hear the second one start. She is smiling through the whole thing. While a pundit on MSNBC says, this could be Trump's Katrina. I mean, we have a global pandemic and he's liar, liar, pants on fire, president, who saw this coming? I mean, this was where it was always going to land. Right. We were always going to need him to have more credibility on the world stage, to level with us and to be more confident than he is when our health and our family's health was on the line. And, and sadly, it took something like this, I think, to even shake the confidence of some members of his base. The virus doesn't have a political affiliation. If this goes on, no one is, again, the coronavirus is not Donald Trump's fault, but everything he's done in exaggerating about the status of tests and lying about its severity and saying it'll just go away, that's all on him. Well, we talk about this as well, the idea that it's not his fault, right, that it started, but if it had started under Obama, Donald Trump would be the guy on Fox and Friends saying it was his fault. He it was, was Obama's he fault. Was. During, it was during yeah. Ebola, he was on Twitter every day. Right. I mean, are you are you kind of um, <laughs> shock proof at this point when you see? No, that? Yeah. no. I, I keep waiting for that. I, like yeah. every morning, I wake up and I'm, you know it's, we're getting older, so I feel achy, and and then I'm like, am I am I past the point where he can gall me? And yeah. I never and am. You can still get I turn on Morning Joe and I'm like shouting at the TV like a lunatic. And if I didn't have my show, I would be that. That person yelling the news on six. Oh, it's nice, yeah. When I when I have a hiatus, I just mutter to myself. So it's very helpful. I do. I've been the, I've been yeah. the one in the dog park yelling like, "Yo, Pence isn't any better." Like, <laughs> but I was thinking about this in terms of politics, right? Uh, we talked about uh, the business community finally not kind of sticking with Donald Trump. But this may be, and I, you know, Nicole, I should mention this with little trepidation. But this may be Donald Trump's Katrina. Yeah, you don't have to characterize him. Let's just lean into that for yeah. a minute. I mean, Katrina was the moment when all of the things that felt incredibly incompetent about the Bush presidency, the appointment of Harriet Myers to the Supreme Court, the botched attempt to pass Social Security privatization. I mean, I, I lived it. I can go through the whole list were realized. We gave them a proof point that we were indeed incompetent. And also people died. I mean, this is this has the making structurally for the same kind of moment. For but if there's Trump. any moment that would shake that 40 percent, the folks who would allow him to shoot someone and ride down, for the, if there's any moment, it's this one. Because it's babies, it's friends, it's loved it's ones. Old it's old people in nursing homes home, that can't have their daughters and sons. It's and your nana. Yeah. Right? And so it seems to me that this is... 
an event that could take down a president. I'm trying to put together both of your points, Katrina and no adults. I mean, Katrina was ultimately um, overcome or, or survived by the fact that um, the adults took over, you know, took the reins, and the president um, kept his word on rebuilding New Orleans. He kept the faith with the local workers. We were storm chasers. We went to every subsequent storm, and we did better. I mean, what's what's the prospect? And I've read everything that the New York Times. You guys have a live, you know, live coverage like you do after any natural disaster on this, and I read every single update. I mean, there there hasn't this. We haven't reached the bottom, so there's no opportunity to pivot. I mean, where do you think this is heading? I don't know. I mean, literally smiling. It's still 2016, apparently. They're really excited about the idea of people dying so they could take back control. Seeing national media giddy at the thought of America's dying because it would hurt Trump's re-election chance is something else. We need deaths, a lot of them. Maybe this will work to take down Donald Trump. Come on, virus. God, they're so full of hate. We're barely a week in, and they're rooting for failure to politicize it like they are hoping for and celebrating a potentially large-scale tragedy to occur. She is actually smiling, smiling. You think the left wouldn't so blatantly cheer for Americans to get sick and die? just because they want to beat Trump. It's in their DNA. Jake Tapper sent out CPAC attendee test positive for coronavirus. If you ever wonder, you know, people talk about the stupid people that watch Fox. These are comments that I took directly off his Twitter account. And he knew this would happen, but he's a DNC hack. So he put it up there to look cool and get clickbait. These are people. Bring out the trashy replies from the compassionate left. I'm confident there'll be no negative replies. And suddenly, I really don't mind how contagion, contagious it is anymore. Daniel said that. No fascists. They all think it's a hoax. Karen Kay, thoughts and prayers. Humpty Trumpty, still a hoax, Trump? Sam, Darwinism, HKB3, sweet Lord, there is a God. 45 is a pathological liar, but, but, but Trump said it was a hoax. Karen Blakely Shield, let them gather. Oh, a religious dig, isn't that nice? It's always nice to read some good news now and again. Thanks, Jake. Nola, so God didn't protect them? Another religious dig. Daphne, the president said, never mind. Grab him by the virus, Ranko said. I'm totally okay with Trump continuing to have his huge rallies. Survival of the fittest, said Kelly. P.S. Annie, priceless. Resistance fighter, natural selection. Hopefully a miracle will save them all. Another religious dig. So how many Trump evangelicals, evangelicals excuse me, are going to call this God's judgment? Gerald Linden, oh, sweet justice. Somebody said, I know it's a lot of bad wishes to America's response to your threader, Jake Tapper. One really has to wonder what it is about you that attracts such hateful, destructive, and anti-American ideology. Me? I know your roots are in the DNC, but for fuck's sake, when, it, when Hannity tweets, invokes hate from the right, CNN gets a day's worth of Fox bashing. Yet you tweeted this because you knew your followers would jerk off to this news and wish death on cons. You're a hack tapper. Shame on you. Shame on you. But the media, oh, they were happy about CPAC. 
There's also news that an attendee at CPAC, the conservative action group that met in Washington last month that was attended this conference by the president, the vice president, administration officials, that attendee tested positive for the virus, bringing it closer to the White House. Now, the president was asked about this last night. He said he was not concerned. He says his team is doing a great job, not at all worried. The vice president also told us that he personally himself hasn't been tested for the uh, for the virus. WAPO. I am honored to include Washington Post Technology 202 Network list of my, oh my God, 100 plus experts. It's an impressive list except for two GOP members included for political balance, Josh Hockley and Marsha Blackburn. That's Baron Zoka, S-Z-O-K-A. What was his tweet? Serious question. Could there possibly possibly be any greater poetic justice in the universe than for Trump to die of the CPAC virus. When called out on it, and the tweet never was taken down, they didn't make him take it down for Twitter. It's not a violation. Wishing death on Donald Trump's not a violation. He's a conservative. So terms of services don't matter on Twitter. And Washington Post didn't reprimand him. He said, I never wish death upon anyone, but I get why people read it that way. For that, I'm sorry. Like many, I've been distraught at a systematic downplaying of the crisis. My tweet came not from a place of malice, but from deepest concern. It doesn't express my organization's opinion. That's the important thing they told him to say. We'll let you get away with it because you'll help us get more readers. Because now you have bona fides. You want Trump to die. Jonathan Chait. Lots of events should have finished Trump off politically, but I think this is finally the thing that will. A whole op-ed. Yeah. Not going to read it. Not reading anything today that they say that it's... I'll just read one reply. Why do I keep seeing this idea about ethical journalists overhyping COVID-19 as a partisan attack on opposition party POTUS they're not supposed to have? I mean, just because you're delighted over the idea of a pandemic might finally do what the voters wouldn't. Democrats are getting giddy that a virus may do what Mueller and impeachment couldn't. But on a side note, they have nothing but hate. Eliza Stefanik. It is truly sad the radical far left cannot see beyond their vicious hate. My husband and I went grocery shopping this morning before district event and enjoyed chatting with constituents throughout the store. This vile anonymous note was left on our car. Rotten hell, fascist pig. It's on a windshield. How would you think somebody would reply to it? Inappropriate, but it doesn't surmise everybody on the left or something good. Howard Dean. I don't condone this, but as ye sow, so shall you reap. There is no excuse for an outrider for you. You are ashamed of your district and to Democratic United States. People said, I don't condone it, but I condone it. Yeah. Then there's Rick Wilson. Has the CPAC typhoid trumper been identified yet? They, they jerked off. They jerked off. This was the best thing ever. Here's another MSNBC attack. Uh, the tragedy that has hit this, uh, this nursing home. Uh, Steve, uh, it sounds as though uh, some of the 
uh, the staffers at this nursing home have been shocked by the speed with which these symptoms have affected uh, some people who have ultimately died from the virus. Uh, what are we learning? What do we know now about conditions inside that home? They're shocked at how gripping this virus has been, shocked at how fast it has cut through this care facility, shocked at how fast they're getting sick themselves. And so, you know, health officials are now talking about more drastic measures, but talking and focusing on the care facility behind me. Of the 19 deaths in the state, 16 of them have been attributed to the life care facility, 13 of those deaths directly our patients. The difference now, weeks on after this, is that so much of the staff is getting sick that it's affecting their ability to help. Out of 180 staff members in that care facility, 70 of them are now sick with symptoms consistent of the coronavirus. They are not here assisting. And so over the weekend, there had to be federal assistance brought in, a federal crash team to come in and assess what's happening on the ground to try to offer some support inside the care facility. This is a care facility that at the beginning or the into late February had 120 patients. That number has now dwindled to just 55 after so many of them have been transferred to hospitals or other care facilities or have died. And so what we're hearing now larger uh, in King County is that the governor uh, last week was advising people along with the health department to stay out of crowds, stay out of businesses. Uh, you know, if you're sick, if you're elderly, if you feel something to stay away from those big public gatherings. Now over the weekend, there's more signaling about mandatory public distancing, which is essentially canceling big events that gathers people together because so many people are getting sick and dying here in Washington State, Casey. It's not slowing down. That's you. A very scary uh, situation, Steve Patterson. Thank you. Uh, Joseph Fair, uh, let me pick up on what uh, Steve was just talking about. All of those who are caring for the people in this nursing home uh, getting sick. He said 70 of 180 staffers now have symptoms. And I know this was a concern we saw out of China because while you have older people who and people with underlying conditions clearly getting sick, there also were many younger caregivers who seem to be getting sick. And and that seems to be a big question mark here. I mean, what do you know and understand about how uh, this virus is affecting uh, caregivers and, and our health care workers and what the implications are uh, for our hospitals and our overall health care system? First of all, frontline healthcare workers are always going to get more dosage and more exposure than your average citizen. So they are the most at risk, and that's why we prioritize the safety materials, the personal protective equipment, et cetera, for them. And it's not just Kirkland. We've seen this happen at UC Davis. We've seen it at multiple other hospitals around the country. We just had a patient recently, I, I can't remember exactly where, that presented to an ER, and now half of the staff, if not more, are on uh, self-quarantine themselves. So at the time we need them most, the staff are now having to be self-quarantined. So we're already seeing an overwhelming of the health system, and we're only going to continue to see that, especially if we have to quarantine our own hospital staff around the country. And do you think, I mean, what is your view of, of how the federal government has been handling this uh, so far? We heard uh, Dr. Fauci uh, on Sunday with my colleague Chuck Todd at Meet the Press talking about moving into a mitigation uh, phase. I mean, where do we stand in terms of the response? I'd say we're, you know, we're honestly behind the curve. Um, I have full faith in Dr. Fauci, Dr. Redfield, uh, Dr. Burks. They're all consummate public health professionals that this is not their first rodeo, as we would say, and they uh, have done this many times before. That being said, 
getting testing up and running is the most essential step and getting it testing uh, getting testing up and running in every place we can in every city in every um, public health laboratory around the country is key for us to understand how widespread this epidemic is. This is not to fear monger. This is, it would be irresponsible for us to, to create panic when it's undue. That being said, we know 80% of the population is going to survive and a typically a 15 to 20% rate of mortality for those individuals that are both elderly or have underlying condition. I can say pretty much with certainty that each one of us, everyone in this country knows someone with those underlying conditions. So this is not a political thing. It's, it's going to affect voters on the left, the right, and people that don't even vote. So we need to take it seriously. And even if you yourself are going to be okay, you still have the potential and, and are uh, have infecting others that are not going to be okay. Very, very important point. Claudia Lavagna, Steve Patterson, uh, Dr. Joseph Fair, thank you all very much for being here today. Coming up, Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders both agree the other one is... In there, MSNBC analyst predicts 15 to 20 percent coronavirus mortality rate. Do you see a correlation between every time the stock market goes back up, they go into this overdrive? And then all the TP sells out. We have people coming on TV saying we're all going to die. And then they calm down because the stock market tanks. And then stock market goes back up and they freak out and they start all this shit. Yeah. Virologist and NBC Science contributor Joseph Fair said on Monday that 80% of the U.S. population would survive with a 15 to 20% mortality rate. That's not even grounded in science. That's not even remotely what the mortality rate is. It's 3%. Habez, a total ass statistic, pulled out of some experts' butt. This entire nonsensical panic is another way to discredit Trump for response that was correct from the beginning, which we'll see in a second. Then another, Seth Bannon, American Hospital Association, best guess epidemiology for corona over the next two months, 96 million infections. 48,000, 4,800,000 hospitalizations, 1,900,000 ICU admissions, and 480,000 deaths. The flu, 35,490,000 hospitalization, 49,000 ICUs, and 34,000 deaths. You understand. There's already been 30,000 people in the world that have died from the flu. There's only been 3,500-something deaths from coronavirus during the same time period. But you gotta, you got to make it work. You, you, people ask, did you do this with the Iowa caucus app? Did you? Because that's not even, once again... Not correct. I mean, most of you don't even know that under Obama, 12,000 people died of swine flu. At no time do the media act like this. We've only had, what, 300 people infected? But they're acting like it's a pandemic already. Because they need it to be a pandemic because their fucking candidate's a hot garbage fire who yells at people. Curses them and threatens them, as we'll see in This is America. I got a Pelosi soundbite. I'll just sum it up with one reply. Trump is being reckless with his speech because she's being reckless. 
Vanity Fair, Trump is melting down over COVID-19. Gabriel Sherman, Trump is a total meltdown. He told aides he thinks journalists want to get coronavirus on purpose to spread it to him on Air Force One. My latest. Not grounded in anything. It just went out. And within it, he's basing this whole article on Trump. He hates it if someone is eating nachos and dips a chip back in after taking a bite. He calls them double dippers. I'm sorry, I um, call them double dippers. Yeah. I don't double dip with anybody but my wife. That's not melting down. Brian Class, the coronavirus is Trump's Chernobyl. A growing catastrophe in which the government response is deadly because Trump is more worried about protecting the myth that defines his alternative reality than protecting vulnerable people who will die. But they're not politicizing. There's no politicization. No. And if you say that, you're being un-American. They're just doing their job. I mean, here's two sound bites. People fighting over TP and an airplane where a cabin crew tackles a woman because she coughed on the staff. Stay down, stay down, stay down. Stay down, stay down, stay down. Stay down, please. Then we get this nugget. Americans divided on party lines over risk of coronavirus. Yeah. So if they weren't freaking the American people out and Democrats weren't believing that Trump was going to kill us all, they were then going on this angle. Chris Hayes, coronavirus is like climate change on three-month time scale. Or... Just astoundingly gross to call it the Wuhan virus. There are sound bites of the entire media establishment calling it a Wuhan virus. But this is prompted off Paul Gossner. I am sur- announcing that I, along with my three of my senior staff, are officially under self-quarantine after sustaining contact with CPAC with a person who has since been hospitalized with Wuhan virus. Because that's what it was called initially. Ian Michael Chong. No, it's not astoundingly gross to call it Wuhan virus. Please explain why you think it's astoundingly gross. Virus originated in Wuhan. Same person who said it. Okay, so what's the best book on the Spanish flu? People joked, I guess you can't say Spanish rice anymore. David Gura, FYI, calling COVID-19 the Wuhan virus is racist. The virus that'll kill us all is stupidity. Molly Jong-un was on the bandwagon. Karen joked, swine flu is porkophobic. <laughs> they went in, can't call it a Cuban sandwich anymore. Then media come out. Drew Holden, 
I feel my brain melting out of my ears after reading all these Wuhan virus is racist takes. Wuhan virus being racist, we're fine calling it that until they're very recently. AOC asked her followers for a question. What question do you have about the coronavirus? Somebody said Wuhan virus. She corrected him. And this just goes on and on. He has a list of 80, and I won't read it, people literally saying you can't call it the Wuhan virus. Ilian Omar was on board because Kevin McCarthy said it was the Wuhan virus. She's demanding he take it down. If it wasn't that angle, it's Chuck Enger, who's also part of our race today as he yells at black people and nobody said anything. I'm glad people are finally talking about the 25th Amendment in regards to Trump because he's been manically selfish and dangerously misinformed the coronavirus outbreak and it might cost people their lives, but he's been deeply unstable for a long time and it affects it all. Steve Redmond. The Trump-Pence administration, at a minimum, is partially responsible for today's market crash. The market hates uncertainty. It was their fault the media freaked. Okay. Andrea Junker. Oil price drops. Ports are empty. Treasury yields fall. Airlines cancel flights. Stock market crashes. State declares state of emergency. Tired of winning yet? Yeah. Ryan Fortney. 77% of Americans are confident that Trump administration's ability to handle the coronavirus. Just 58 were confident with the Ebola. They tried to get government Governor Newsom to dog president, but he wouldn't. Newsom says he's not interested in finding daylight between state and Trump administration. Says the federal government has followed through on everything they have discussed. Everybody dogged him. They didn't like it. Then, Yossi Gettner has a whole thread about how the media said Trump's initial response was going to be bad, but it wasn't. Everything he did was right. I won't break it down. It's very long. It, it, no. No, it wasn't, it wasn't bad, but they all ran articles that it was. MSNBC tried to destroy it. So, our last on Corona is Paul Gossner. But think about life and mortality today. I'd rather die gloriously in battle than for a virus in a way it doesn't matter, but it kind of does. It looks really stupid. It's a stupid tweet. AOC, if it helps at all, Gossner, you get roasted in committee almost every week, so that's kind of the same thing. And people go, you're comparing the battlefield with a committee, and you want to ban car farts, or cow farts, really. The media has an invested interest in all of this. And that's why you get sound bites like this. This is CNN fantasizing that this will take down Trump. A damn rep just going on and saying there's no way the president can say anything on MSNBC. This is where this damn rep was spear. It's too late. And literally an CNN Espanol reporter on the House floor in a gas mask to raise more fear. 
We've also never seen a situation like this, certainly in modern times, in terms of a potential pandemic influencing yes. the next couple of months in a way that's kind of hard to even yeah. imagine. I mean, obviously, there's the difference on health care between Sanders and, and, and Biden. Um, but if, you know, if hospitals are overwhelmed, if, you know, the yes. military is called in, if there's people no are rallies. Being, you know, triaged in school gymnasiums on respirators or whatever however bad it may get, yeah. and let's hope it doesn't. Nothing makes you appreciate a functional government like a global pandemic. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, <laughs> yes. I've always said that. Yeah, no. Uh, that's in, that's no, you're right. I mean, none of us, there's very few people who have seen what happens when a society, mm -hmm. full, you know, has the potential to really burst at the seams. Yes. I mean, it, yeah, Joe you know. Biden's argument has been about sort of a return to moral normalcy. But it's also going to begin to look like a return to competence because yes, Trump yes, and the yes. Republicans have been running the government in sort of an anti-government frame, which is not what you want when you're dealing with a health crisis. And we all know when Joe becomes our president, he's going to bring back many of the Obama alums who are really, really competent and technocratic and that there's going to be real hunger for that in the days to come among many, many Americans if the coronavirus crisis yes. uh, continues. What do you need to hear from the president, and do you think you will hear it regarding the coronavirus? I don't think the president is capable of telling us the truth about the coronavirus, and I regret saying that. I think we have to rely on the scientists who are attempting to tell the truth even when they have to contradict the president. The fact that he is not willing to cancel his... Uh, various rallies uh, suggest that he is willing to place even his most ardent supporters at risk because we're supposed to stay six feet away from other persons in order to mitigate uh, the exchange of those viruses. I think that he is showing, unfortunately, why he is so ill-prepared to guide our country during this time of crisis. California Congresswoman Jackie Speer, thanks for your time. I know it's a big the fact is, panic in these types of situations. El hecho es que el pánico en este tipo de situaciones puede matar más gente que el virus. Necesitamos que todos entiendan lo que pueden hacer como individuos y lo que sus comunidades pueden hacer para estar a salvo. Una de esas cosas es no usar una máscara. De hecho, publiqué un tweet este fin de semana que se volvió viral pidiéndole a la gente que por favor dejen de comprar máscaras, pues no son efectivas para que el público general se proteja contra el coronavirus. Ahí tienen al director de Sanidad de Estados Unidos y este es el congresista Matt Gates en un ejemplo claro de la desinformación que puede crear problemas. Se fue al pleno de la Cámara, fue a trabajar con este tipo de máscara, pero este tipo de máscara, a ver ese tanque que tiene al frente, eso es de uso limitado. Ese filtro sirve para en una emergencia salir del lugar, no para quedarse a trabajar. Esto es lo que se llama desinformación o una payasada. It's a sickness. It just is a sickness on a level. I, I, I guess I can display it. This was an Obama-appointed judge, Preet Bahara. And since we just went through the stuff with Schumer and what he did and how the media just ignored it, as we'll see, they, they didn't even cover it. Who does this if you don't have a sickness? This is a tweet screed. 
Donald Trump is the greatest hoax ever perpetuated on America. Odds on this guy having an anti-Trump altar somewhere in his house, because here it goes. He's a liar, he's a cheat, he's bad business, man. He can't spell, he doesn't read, he doesn't listen, he kicks puppies, he starves orphans. Or just wait, it gets worse. He has no principles, he doesn't give a shit about anyone, he is profoundly disloyal. He rejects his every flaw in others, he doesn't know facts, he doesn't respect science, he doesn't get math, he doesn't acknowledge history, he doesn't understand wealth. He wants to buy Greenland, he doesn't understand weather. He wanted to nuke hurricanes. He says he's a genius, but he won't release his grades or tax releases. He attacks war heroes while he pardons war criminals. He accuses others of nepotism while he privileges his own children. He whines about criticism and he spews nothing but bile. He calls patriots human scum while surrounding himself with scumbags like Roger Stone. He claims to be an alpha while he endlessly whines like a stuck pig. He says he's for America, though he cozes up to despots. He said no one has more respect for women than he does, but then he grabs her gen... gentinals. He said he knows more than the generals. He suggests he has special talent for infectious disease. I am angry and worried right now, as are tens of millions of Americans. I don't know what will happen next, but what I do know is this. Donald Trump is the greatest hoax ever perpetuated on America. I'll just read one reply. This is very brave of... Wait, aren't you a former U.S. attorney from SDNY? Yeah, that's you. Didn't he fire you? Yes. Something about your refusal to resign, like you were entitled to your position? They? I mean, my God. Oliver Darcy. After the Dow posted the biggest single-day loss since 2008, Greg Gutfeld opens up the five with, wait for it, an attack on the media. Greg Gutfeld, I, in my humble defense, you folks are extra shitty. Because you are. It's a disease. And no, we're not doing breaks today. We're going to do one break for new social media nuggets. There's just too much content. I mean, you hope Americans die. You freak out about it. 30,000 fucking people have died of the flu. 3,500 for coronavirus. Obama let 12,000 fucking people die of swine flu. We didn't have this fucking outbreak. We didn't try to tank the stock market. But it wasn't an election year. And yes, I know there were people that said Obama wasn't born in America and said some pretty hurtful shit. They weren't in the media. And yet, somebody at a Bernie rally flags, unfurls a Nazi flag. This is the only soundbite you'll hear about it. This Democratic nomination and that we defeat Trump. Sir, I have to ask you about something that happened uh, Thursday night at your rally uh, in Phoenix, uh, where an individual unfurled a Nazi flag, a swastika, before being removed by security. I know you didn't see it in the moment, but you saw it uh, later. Um, you could be the first Jewish major party nominee for president uh, in American history. Uh, what was your reaction when you saw that somebody unfurled a swastika to your rally? I tell you, to be honest with you, I was he was behind me. And I was speaking to the crowd, and I saw crowds booing, and, you know, and I turned around. And I didn't quite see what it was. I learned about it right after I left the stage. Uh, Jake, you know, we have been disrupted by various groups. Some Trump people have gotten excited, and we've gotten rid of them, you know. But the idea that there was a swastika, a symbol of everything that this country stands against. We lost 400,000 people fighting 
that symbol, fighting Nazism. Six million Jews were killed, other people were killed. The most devastating war in the history of humanity, and you have in the United States of America, somebody who was an anti-Semite was yelling out vulgar things as well. Uh, obviously, it is unspeakable. It is disgusting. It is something i got to tell you. Uh, I never expected in my life uh, as an American to see a swastika at a major political rally. It's horrible. Uh, your campaign manager and community... What was your reaction? No other Dems were asked. New York Times, let's shoot her off the hook. Dems not all that unhappy about it. That's the only article I could find about Schumer. It was out of the news. Didn't get played. Nobody cared. Nobody. Then you have Marvel Comics, Fantastic Four writer, Don Slott. Fuck you if you vote for Trump. Marvel Comics Fantastic Four writer Dan Slott took to Twitter to attack President Trump supporters. This administration is not on top of this emergency. They're ignoring or contradicting their own experts. People are dying, he added, and he's golfing at his resort again and profiting off it. Slott then stated, I'm not saying fuck you for voting for him. I'm saying fuck you if you vote for him again. Voice actress Susan Eisenberg, who will be playing Sorceress in the upcoming Master of the Universe Revelation series, and previously voiced Wonder Woman, and Mira, who gives a fuck, concurred. And yet people will vote for him again, and nothing seems will change that. It's incomprehensible and insane to me. Slot is no stranger for going after the president. Here's some of his big whist. I donated to E. Warren. I wouldn't voted for a Warren, but there's this thing. Trump puts children in cages, puts his own ego before being truthful about the coronavirus vaccine. And ignores climate crisis and is shredding the Constitution. He then said, the virus' best friend are Trump administration and his supporters who successfully dismantle and sabotage all our best resources for clamping down on the virus. Maybe it's time to listen to the people who care more about stopping the virus than messaging about it. It's not true. None of it's true. This guy's got, I mean... Twitter support. This person is using Twitter to announce that they intend on committing war crimes. Things outlawed by the Geneva Convention. America banning the Middle East is a naive point of view. When Trump withdrew troops from Syria, leaders to the Kurds, our allies against ISIS, are being slaughtered. Blah, blah, blah. These same people said nothing during Obama. I mean, it's so bad. Sean King said, stop freaking out about the coronavirus. And they brought Dr. Drew on again. Because the press is continuing to spin it. So you've seen pandemics over the decades. How does this one compare with everything? A bad flu season is 80,000 dead. We've got about 18,000 dead from influenza this year. We have 100 from corona. Mm -hmm. Which should you be worried about, influenza or corona? 100 versus 18,000. It's not a trick question. And look, everything that's going on with the New York cleaning the subways and everyone using Clorox wipes and get your flu shot, which should be the other message, that's good. That's a good thing. So I have no problem with the behaviors. What I have a problem with is the panic and the fact that businesses are getting destroyed and people's lives are being upended, not by the virus, but by the panic. The panic must stop. And the press, they really somehow need to be held accountable because they are hurting people. So where do you think the panic started? Like, what besides the press, like, what was the impetus in terms of mass hysteria? I I saw it. There's a footage of me on a show called The Daily Blast Live Mm -hmm. a month ago going, shouldn't we be scared about this? And me going, no, there's going to be potential for panic here. Shut up, everybody. Stop talking about it. I can see the panic brewing. And I can just see it the way the innuendo and the... the 
every every opportunity for drama by the press was was twisted in that direction. Let me give you an example. So the World Health Organization is out now saying the fatality rate from the virus is 3.4%, right? Every every publication from the WHO says 3.4%, and we expect it to fall dramatically once we understand the full extent of the illness. No one ever reports the actual statement. Right. They, they go 3.4%. That's 10 times more than the whatever, five times more than the flu virus. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be a little more flu probably. Dr. Drew has no vested interest in protecting Trump. But he speaks the truth. The stats don't lie. When it's all said and done, this will have a kill ratio of below 3%. Because you're not taking in effect the people that aren't going in. The people that aren't getting checked. Those things are not being talked about. But once again, it's an election year. I just explained to my daughter, why are people freaking out? I said they're freaking out because it's an election year. It behooves the Democrats to tank the economy. If you tank the economy, it's a good thing. If you get people freaked the fuck out and they go on uh, selling sprees and hoard their money... That's good for Democrats. And as we see, they finally worked out their shit. They're all behind Biden now. Folks, they need this. What else do they have? The economy is good. What else do they have? you got to have something to write on and say, this is why you don't want to vote for Trump. And this is it. They started prepping this with that Seltzer article. Hey, this is what we were talking about. His lack of credibility. Our lack of credibility. His lack of credibility. His lack of credibility. So you wouldn't trust him. And there's so many people that just eat everything the media says with a spoon. You know, the media is big on talking about how Fox News has a bunch of brainless sheep. People watching CNN and MSNBC, they're like this slot guy. None of the tweets he said are true because he didn't know any better. It's just like the kids in cages. These people still have not acknowledged the dear one did it. He built the program. No, no, that can't happen. That's the media protecting Trump. These people believe that the media protects Trump. That our media is biased. Probably direct correlation between all those people and Bernie. So then we had this come out. Twitter labels unedited video clip of Biden saying we can only re-elect Donald Trump as manipulated media. Kat Zarinsky just in Twitter applied a new manipulated media label for the first time to deceptively edit video of Joe Biden. Sorry, I had to switch my mouth. It was shared by White House social media director Dan Scavano and retweeted by the president. Mike Hahn. Look forward to explanation from Twitter Gov on how this is manipulated media. Twitter says they'll label a video manipulated if it's substantially edited, visual, visual 
audio is added, removed, video is fabricated and simulated. The clip he posted was a real clip. This was not edited. Turn this primary from a campaign that's about negative attacks into one about what we're for, because we cannot get reelect. We cannot win this reelection. Excuse me. We can only reelect Donald Trump. I saw that on Twitter the day he did it. The day he did it. It wasn't edited, but here we go. When they get caught saying they chop up bodies, that's an edited video. When they get caught saying how to uh, instructing illegals how to vote, that's an edited video. Whenever it's the left being hurt, it's an edited video, but I've said it a million times on this show. When it's 47% grabbed by the pussy, Moses grabbed that shit, brought it down, handed it. That was a huge thing. I'm covering it for two seconds because... I just, why would any conservative be upset? I got like two pages of script. I'm not covering it. Why would you even fucking expect anything else? They make those rules just to fucking protect Dems. Facebook tanked. Now they're taking down Trump fucking ads. Trump can't have ads on Facebook. But I guarantee we'll find Biden ads on fucking Facebook and they won't touch it. It's election year. We do whatever we want. So, to some media. I was going to cover goodbye to... I played it too many times. I'm not going to play Chris Matthews, bye-bye Chris, a huge article, and all the negative things he said. Um, I have a soundbite that's like 10 hours long, but I'm not going to play it. I'm just going to play the one soundbite and this is from last podcast, I couldn't get it in. The one soundbite that sums up Chris Matthews. And he said horrible shit. I mean, he called people all conservatives, Nazis. I mean, it, it's been bad. This is why I hated Chris Matthews. I have to tell you, you know, it's, it's part of reporting this case of uh, this election. The feeling most people get when they hear a Barack Obama speech, my, I felt this thrill going up my leg. I mean, well, I don't have that too often. Steady. No, seriously. It's a dramatic event. He speaks about America in a way that has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with the feeling we have about our country. And, I, and, and that is an objective assessment. I also had media reactions to basically Biden going ahead. It no longer matters because we're now into, we'll get it in our next section, Biden's the guy and it's pretty ugly trump town hall crushes ratings for fox huge ratings i didn't even know he had it to be quite honest um because i don't watch fox I, I just don't to warren leaving the race here is pelosi and i i gotta play this stuff because they try to play it off like it's america this was a democratic primary so if america's sexist that america is your party you being here matters <laughs> hey 13 district strong guess what senator sanders is in the district we're on our way to incredible neighborhood of you only got Park. half of my head in there come on <laughs> 
<laughs> but anyways, want to welcome him to 13 District Strong. Well, it's an honor and a pleasure to be here with this great congresswoman. <laughs> We're taking a look at what's going on in the district and what we are learning that instead of giving tax breaks and subsidies to billionaires, maybe we want to invest in housing and education and clean water for the community, not only here in Detroit, but all over this country. We're going to change, Rashida and I are going to change national priorities and create a government that works for everybody, not just billionaire campaign contributors. So this is the Brightmore Connection Food Pantry. We see 1,700 families in here annually. We have a water station where those gentlemen are standing. That's because there's no water left. Because I, I explain that not everybody in America understands that I'm in our country thank you. there are places where people do not have clean water. Last I heard, this is the United States of America. Am I right about that? Yes, sir. And yet you got thousands of families mm -hmm. that have no water have in no their homes. Now, how do you live without you water? Tell me, you explain it to me. So you can't. This is incredibly powerful to have you right here where I grew up, where all of us are fighting on the front lines. You know, I always tell people, you want to see what doing nothing about climate justice, you want to see what doing nothing about education, you want to see what doing nothing on poverty looks like, come to here. This is the front line of communities that can show you what doing nothing looks like. The third poorest congressional district. These kids are my heroes. <laughs> How old are you? 17. Okay. 16. 16? 19. 19. All right. How do you feel about the quality of the education you're getting? In some classes, we don't have books. In the classes where we do have books, they're falling apart. And what about the quality of your teachers? Um, my teachers are the best. They work as hard as they can, but how, how can you work that hard in the classroom when you have to balance two or three jobs and also try to support your own family? So it's, it's hard on them, and it's just... It's They're working two or three jobs? Yes. So my teachers tell us, like, I got to go. I have to go to my second job. Jesus I have to go pick Christ. up my own kids. So, yeah, my teachers deserve better. They sure do. Then you deserve better. Never forget, not for one moment, that you are living in the wealthiest country in the history of the world. And what our job is, and Rashida knows this, is that we are going to take on the greed and corruption of a corporate elite who care only about the bottom line and making billions more and turning their backs on the people of this country and the people of this community. That's what this struggle is about. Now, the thing about Warren that cracks me up is there are actually people leaving flowers and votive candles where she lives. I'm not making that up. And then the media is literally ignoring the following. Christine Summers. Seems like Elizabeth Warren has a lot of ill-tempered scolds on her staff. Alex Thompson. Some Warren campaign staffers don't have a good understanding of campaign journalism. Not my job to actively support the candidate that you were assigned. It is my job to contact as many people as possible rather than just rely on what the campaign wants to give me. Sarah Castle, I have some stories from the campaign. You DMing every young staffer on the campaign in order to get clickbait and sensationalized stories. Sensationalized stories. Maybe if people in the media like you had given any of the women fair media coverage instead of stories like this, we'd be in a different place. Ali Benjamin, eat shit. Becca Day, throw the whole man away. Somebody's get, come get this man. Liv Ellis, Kate. That you were assigned, you chose clickbait over ethical journalism. Alex Thompson again. Some more in camp staffers don't have a good answer. Let's repeat. Then he says, um, oh, he repeated himself because here's more. Um, one of two. No, here's what went wrong. Alex, and I'll tell you because I have 
nothing left to lose. Media outlets, reps like you chose to drive the narrative by reporting only on the struggles rather than the successes. You never had any intention of actively supporting the candidate. Lot Ash, my favorite thing is watching E. Warren staffers dunk on Alex Thompson. I love journalists and real stories, but Alex purposely applied incorrect context to trans staffers' tweets and exposed them to abuse online. Liv Ellis, somebody come get this man. Sure did that once, you did it again. Fucking elevator, Goodman. Thoroughly researched and expert-backed policy proposals, you fucking troll. Kristen Othman. Reminder to Team Warren, I understand being upset, I am too, but inappropriate language towards other campaigns or the press is never what our campaign or E. Warren's about. Let's keep the fight focused on this issue. Why would they be upset? Well, they watched 2016. Most qualified candidate ever. Puff pieces. She never had a serious interview her entire election. Not once. NPR turns to angry feminists as Warren drops out. But wait, neither endorsed her. This is the problem. This is your primary. You chose not to endorse her. But you did choose not to make a big deal about her lying about her ethnicity. I didn't hear those op-eds. In the wake of Elizabeth Warren, this is back to the article, presidential race of Thursday night, NPRs all think considered only con- considered opinion writers who were feminist Democrats. The question from anchor Adi Cornish was, what did this primary season teach us about the state of things for women? NPR turned to Mona Athaway, an Egyptian-American feminist who might seem at odds with NPR vibe, when her approach, oh, I just double-clicked, sorry, was summarized by Vice, Mona Athaway would like you to fuck right off with your civility politics. Washington Free Beacon exposed a lie, uh, but then came this telltale utterance, FOA. I think at the end of the sad day, I haven't endorsed any candidate. The rest of it, the pregnancy discrepancy, she got treated horrible, she was called a liar. Well, she was. She was a liar. But the morning for Warren continued. Here's some more media. Today, Senator Elizabeth Warren announced she was suspending her presidential campaign, and she opened up about it in a press conference outside her home and on Rachel Maddow's show last night. Take a look. One of the hardest parts of this is all those baby promises and all those little girls who are going to have to wait four more years. There's a feeling that your campaign ending is... Is, is very specific to you, and it also feels a little bit like a death knell in terms of the prospects of having a woman for president in our lifetimes. Oh, God, please no. That can't be right. You I know mean, what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. This cannot be the right answer. Yeah. Well, all of those great women that are out still out there, I don't think anybody thinks they're not going to run. I mean, I want Stacey Abrams to run at some point. I want her out there. You know, there are a lot of I think women have this idea that, you know, now there's not going to be... Look, yeah. it, it took us, what, 150 years to get a black president, and we would shock the hell about that. Well, it's... it's, it's you know? I think my feeling is, though, and I have a really good friend who's, like, a diehard Warren supporter, and mm-hmm. she's 
really upset. I talked mm -hmm. to her yesterday, and I think there's this feeling, though, that I believe she's a much better candidate than Bernie. I think she was mm -hmm. um, smarter, more likable. If you, I think that goes to men and women. I think she was more prepared in the debate. She completely knocked Bloomberg out at the knees. And I think there's this feeling where you have people like Klobuchar, Warren, Kamala Harris, who's a sitting senator, who gender really did come into play. In, and I'm not the first person to always say this, but yeah. the way they're covered by the media, it's the way they look. They're, they're too likable. They're not likable enough. Mm -hmm. They're too shrill. She's not smart enough. She's not warm enough. And mm -hmm. it's every woman that runs. And I think there's a feeling of exhaustion among a lot of American women. Like, when is the media going to throw some of these female candidates? By the way, not just presidential candidates, candidates across mm -hmm. the board and mm -hmm. women in politics across the board. When are we going to start treating them by, like men? And I'm always hopeful that each election cycle, they will. And then I'm disappointed that they don't. And by the way, this is something that's been going on since our entire lifetimes. I saw it front and center with Sarah Palin. Mm -hmm. And I think there's been horrible trends on Ford. And they're just treated differently. Yeah. And Elizabeth Warren has a very classy response. I'm, I'm almost done. She <laughs> says, if I complain about it, I'm I'm a whiner. Yeah. And if I don't recognize it, I look delusional. Uh -huh. And I think that was a great answer. Well, we, in the patriarchy that we find ourselves, you know, um, a man can be angry. A woman yep. cannot be. Bernie is, is always, always angry. angry. Yeah. I, I like him very much. He's a good guy. But he always comes across as angry. Elizabeth Warren can't come across that way. <clears throat> and, you know, so they have similar agendas, yeah. the two of them, too. And, and still, we accept it in him, but not in her. And let me just say this one thing. In a normal year, without the horror show that's going on in the White House right now, um, I think that a woman could have had a better chance. But we are in an emergency situation, and we could not take a chance on the misogynists in this country uh, ruining it for a woman. And that's what is happening right now. But that doesn't mean it doesn't say it's going to happen again. I don't think it will next time. People I, are getting smarter. I think it'd be intellectually dishonest not to say being yeah. a woman plays into it. Of course. I don't think that's the only reason. For me, Elizabeth Warren wasn't the right candidate for me politically. And I would never insult a woman enough to say, I only voted for you because I'm a woman and you're a woman. Mm -hmm. I what about Klobuchar? She was different from I liked, I really was a Pete, a Mayor Pete person. I really liked him. Mm -hmm. um, I, I really liked Andrew Yang. Uh, mm -hmm. I think the moderate, when you, the closer to the middle you are, that probably is more representative of most, most people in this country, right. whether we hear enough of it. So I think she was too far left for me. But I also think... a lot think, of people she was too far left for. Yeah, but I also think we need to stop putting people so much in categories. Not every black person thinks like every black person. Not every woman thinks like every woman. Not every young person thinks like every young person. We keep grouping everyone together, and that is limiting our potential. We're more nuanced individual to individual. There are probably men that think more like me than a lot of women do. It's, it, yeah, but we, you can't dismiss the misogyny and the sexism. No, but, but I think we're all, we're all a product there. of that. We're all raised in the same time. I probably have my own misogyny. I watched the Taylor Swift documentary. I wasn't raised at the same time you were. <laughs> Joy, I was doing you a solid by bringing you down. That's no, okay. But, um, Experience, I, there was a Taylor Swift said something in her documentary that really hit me. She said, I had to rid myself of my own misogyny. It's kind of like someone who comes out. People That's assume right. that because they're gay, they're okay with being yeah. gay. They have a battle to fight to get to accept themselves. It's called consciousness raising. Yeah. That's what needs to be well, done And I again. think progress is being made when you look at the candidates we had. It was a very diverse group of people. Yes, we're down to two white men, but... Two old, old guys, too. Okay. I, I, was like, I was doing them a solid as well. Yeah. But um, I think the, the point is that we're making progress. Those stages are starting to be more colorful. There's more there. This is 60 years ago this didn't happen. Yeah.
Okay, there weren't there weren't women. Sixty years ago, it's not long ago. But, but I at think, all. But I think for me, I was always raised. My dad told me you can be President Megan, like always. And oh. I feel like if I had a child right now, right. and it was a girl, mm-hmm. I don't know what I'd say anymore because I do think there. I it's like there's this quote that like, where's my jetpack? Mm. Where's my woman president? Like, why are we still here as Americans? And I think it's frustrating. And for me, I'd love it to be a conservative woman, like happy if it's Nikki Haley or someone like else. But I do think women traditionally are better leaders in a lot of situations because we're more compassionate and we more don't have collab- to deal there's more, more collaborative. collaborative. Yes. Yes. And I think for me, I'm just, I'm 35. I'm going to be 36 by the next election or almost, uh, yeah, 36 the next election. Where's my woman president? I would like a woman to be president in well, my life. Maybe you should run. Would you vote for me? Get in line. You're Maybe. And the other real factor we're looking at at the end of this week is Senator Elizabeth Warren, who exited the race, and what her exit says about everything in the party. Here's what she had to say after she left. If you say, yeah, there was sexism in this race, everyone says, whiner. And if you say, no, there was no sexism, about a bazillion women think, what planet do you live on? We were never going to elect a black man until we elected a black man, and we're never going to elect a woman until we elect a woman. So we're just going to stay in this. Abby, a reckoning on gender for the Democratic Party. Yeah, and I think it's been a long time in coming. Uh, We had a a similar conversation after Kamala Harris got out of the race about what is the impact of sexism on this race. But with uh, Warren now out, no women in the race, no people of color, no one under the age of 70, uh, a lot of diversity issues. But for women, uh, I think this cycle has been actually a lot more about the hardest problems with gender and politics. For a long time, you know, we focused a lot about how, uh, you know, people critiqued what women wore and, and, um, you know, how they spoke. And and all of those things are important, too. I think what this election has revealed is that there are deeper uh, biases against women that are at play here. Uh, voters who say they don't want to vote for a woman uh, because they, you know, they don't perceive women to be leaders. They don't perceive them to be, um, they, or they do perceive them to be shrill. They kind of have a lot of negative uh, uh, connotations associated with women. And it's not just men. It's also women voters as well. So this is the hardest part. And I think that um, this campaign has revealed, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of talk about what people were wearing this cycle. But the gender bias was still underneath. Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren kicked off her campaign last February. She sought to shatter that final glass ceiling in American politics. She released a slew of detailed policy plans. She took over 100,000 photos with supporters and she brought energy enthusiasm to every single debate. But apparently that's not enough. The Atlantic summed up Warren's run in this headline, quote, America punished Elizabeth Warren for her competence. Elizabeth Warren, Soraya, laid out policies the way a scientist publishes findings in a peer-reviewed journal. Right? She laid it all. For a policy-oriented journalist like me, it's a dream candidate because everything she says is written down, you can challenge it, and many did challenge it. I don't know what... And I'm not, this is not a political statement about who you should support in the election. I don't know what a more perfect candidate looks like in terms of policy, wherever you are in the ideological spectrum. How much of Elizabeth Warren's lack of success was 
her actual policy and ideology versus the fact that it's just it's just hard for a woman to 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 succeed in this in this place she is competence incarnate she has a plan for that just in general she's unapologetically and unavoidably credentialed what is it about america and a woman president i just say this noting that of major industrialized countries we're one of the last to have a woman leader i think most people can tell you or will believe whether they were supporting elizabeth warren or not that she was authentic what, when it, what, what's enough? What, what, what does a... Um, Allie, first to you, you obviously were around Elizabeth Warren yesterday. It was emotional, it was gripping, and there was this real sense from your opening question that gender is a big part of this, as far as she's concerned, and as far as a lot of women I talk to are concerned. Yeah. You're probably having a lot of the same conversations that I've been having in the 24 hours Absolutely. since Elizabeth Warren left the race, Andrea, because... Elizabeth Warren was the last chance for women this cycle to see a woman potentially get to the White House. And gender has loomed over this race so large. I even think about Elizabeth Warren yesterday when she was talking to us outside her house. She said thank you to the people who changed what they thought a president could look like. Because Elizabeth Warren wasn't the only one to do this. This was something that Kamala Harris did. This is something Amy Klobuchar did, Kirsten Gillibrand, and Hillary Clinton the election cycle before them. And even Shirley Chisholm back when she ran for president. All of these women have challenged what America thinks a president it looks like and the and the thing that elizabeth warren used to say on the campaign trail is women win the thing is americans have to elect them in order for them to seem like a president that's something that she was even saying last night to rachel maddow and so that's really striking but i think in addition to the gender conversation is this parallel conversation that i've been thinking a lot about which is the politics of this moment the only consistent thing this election cycle has been that voters tell me and tell all of our reporters out here that they just want someone who can beat president donald trump that's the focal point of Joe Biden's campaign. To a certain extent, Bernie Sanders has also focused a lot of his attention on being the person to beat President Donald Trump. But Elizabeth Warren has centered her campaign around policies and plans. There is a reality in which, yes, gender impacted this race so much, but there is also a reality that maybe her pitch just wasn't the pitch that the election... It's their candidate. Then to Biden and his gaffes, we already started. Here's Joe Lockhart. So who's out there Twitter pushing BS story of Biden's cognitive decline? Trump supporters, Bernie bros, and the Russians? Well, there's video evidence. There's your ears and your eyes. It's going to be fun watching the media declare any question about Biden's acuity to be off limits after Seltzer and company spent the last three years questioning Trump's mental health. So what comes out instantly? Twitter now bans dehumanizing remarks based on age, disability, and disease. <laughs> right off the bat. Right off the bat. Yes. They're protecting him because they have to. I mean, folks, James Wood nails it. This is absolutely the plan by these savages of the DNC. Prop Joe Biden up while he struggles with dementia until the convention. Sticks Hillary on him like a suckerfish until the election. She takes over 30 days in. People really believe that. And he has, I'm going to save it for next podcast, a soundbite of all his gaffes. It's fucking horrible. It's just horrible. But... We went through this with Hillary. You couldn't talk about health after she did her digger. It's horrible. It's ableist. But you could do it with a Republican. So, at the end of the Bernie, because we're getting, nearing the end, here are some sound bites. Um, 
Well, let's just start with this ISIS member opened his Michigan campaign. I'm going to play them dancing. I'm going to play this guy talking. It's pretty horrible. When ISIS attacks non-Muslims, they immediately blame Islam for it. I have no doubt that ISIS is motivated by an agenda run by the enemies of Islam. By the enemies of Islam. And I want to bring this to your attention. ISIS has targeted people in Lebanon, in Syria. In Iraq, in Kuwait, in Saudi Arabia, in Pakistan, in Afghanistan, in Yemen, in Algeria. The only place, the only place that has been completely safe and has never been threatened by ISIS, nor it has been targeted, is Israel. What does this tell you? This speaks out. This speaks volumes. That ISIS somehow is connected to Israel. And ISIS is playing the role of the arm of the Zionists in the Muslim world to kill more Muslims and non-Muslims so it can defame the name of Islam. So people can blame Islam for its atrocities. So people would be alienated from this religion, this peaceful religion. Our religion. Otherwise, who is benefiting from these atrocities? Muslims are benefiting. When they are jeopardizing the fate of over 6 million Muslims in the United States, 20 million Muslims live in, in, in Europe. Their faith, their fate, their well-being, their livelihood is being jeopardized. By ISIS, Islam is benefiting? No. The number one beneficiary of all these atrocities, I tell you, is the Zionist. And it is the Zionist regime. Ikhwati wa akhawati, hadihi fursatuna l'intikhab ra'is munsif fil wilayat al-muttahida. Hadihi fursatuna l'intikhab ra'is... That was a Bernie rally. Yeah. Yeah. Josh Rogan, this is the Iman for Bernie's rally. He has some interesting but theories about how ISIS and Israel are working together. Alex Van Ness, Congresswoman Sheeta Tlaib t-shirt doesn't exactly scream two-state solution while she was there. It has a Palestinian flag over the top of Israel. I have a soundbite of her. We'll play it in a second. It's horrible. 
A pal, uh, he talked to sperm, said Trump is the coronavirus. Holy shit, it's literally the title of the dude's own video. The Iman who spoke at Bernie's rally literally said this is an arm of Zionism. Then you go to his, his, uh, new campaign manager, and that is John Paul Pagano. Uh, I'm sorry, Philip Agnew. I've joined the campaign as a senior advisor, accepting a challenge and contradictions. To my friends and comrades, thank you for the love and accountability. This is the people's position on people's campaign. We'll leave no one behind. This is our promise. John Paul Pagano brings us his tweet screens. Sanders' campaign promotes a senior advisor, Phil Agnew, who tweets, America is responsible for mass shooting at Orlando nightclub, lied about killing Osama bin Laden, murders its citizen for money. Here's just a few. I don't believe shit America. I don't believe shit America. And by default, Obama says sorry. We probably been killed Osama. All choreographed. Got no proof. Gut feeling. America is a hate filled, hate legit, legislated, hate sponsored, hate endorsed, hate filled. This country created ISIS. Just clarifying who to blame. It isn't radical Islam and it wasn't those people in the club. It is us. We spread this hate. International issues could be confusing for some. A good rule of thumb is, if the U.S. is spending humanitarian aid, humanitarian aid, it's a PR cover for inhumane bullshit. If the U.S. has chosen a side, it's the wrong one. If the U.S. is pushing the story, it's a lie. Another one. Tomorrow, America remembers the day that she turned on herself, dismantled the Constitution, and killed her own citizens in the name of money. And that was September 10th. Other ones. Here's how would-be President Sanders' senior new advisor, Philip Agnew, imagines America. Imagination is deeply entrenched in American ethos, from the American dream to American history to American exceptionalism. The cruel, savage reality of this country's past, present, and future beckons us to nurture selective memories and vivid imaginations. We are taught concocted histories and rationales of America's immaculate conception and manifested destinies. Where ethnic cleansing, slavery, genocide, exploitation, and appropriation exist, only a figment of our imagination. America continues to support the murderous occupation of Palestine. Today's Zion is hell on earth for millions. Then he tweets another one of us. Bernie Sanders' new senior advisor, Philip Agnew, extends his vision of a savage America, some somulate about its brutal history to Israel, a violent racist fraud masquerading on Jewish state. In January, I joined a delegation of organizers from the United States on pilgrimages to Palestine when I saw there was cold, calculating racism and ethnic privilege masquerading as a Jewish state. Since the 1960s, the U.S. anti-Zionist left has pursued a strategy of conflating the African-American and Palestinian plights, stoking anti-Jewish conspiracism among blacks as a key element of Linda Sassauer's activism while the leaders of Women's March eagerly ally, ally with Farrakhan. My second day in the Middle East, in Jerusalem, for a day already witnessing the similarities with America. Tamika D. Mallory, today I spent several hours in the city of Hebron, still processing all the emotions around what I saw and what was experienced as a group. I'm deeply troubled. On September 11, 2016, Bernie Sanders' new senior advisor, Philip Agnew, shared a cartoon by Carlos Latoff, who won second place in Iran's International Holocaust cartoon competition, depicting 9-11 as just desserts of deserts of U.S. foreign policy. His caption, what goes around comes around, it's Boomerang's foreign policy hitting the Twin Towers. So that's who Bernie put in charge 
of his campaign. And while campaigning, here is a soundbite with him and Talib. You being here matters. <laughs> Hey, 13 District Strong, guess what? Senator Sanders is in the district. We're on our way to incredible neighborhood of You only got half of my head in there. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, want to welcome him to 13 District Strong. Well, it's an honor and a pleasure to be here with this great congresswoman. We're taking a look at what's going on in the district and what we are learning that instead of giving tax breaks and subsidies to billionaires, Maybe we want to invest in housing and education and clean water for the community, not only here in Detroit, but all over this country. We're going to change, Rashida and I are going to change national priorities and create a government that works for everybody, not just billionaire campaign contributors. So this is the Brightmore Connection Food Pantry. We see 1,700 families in here annually. We have a water station where those gentlemen are standing. That's because there's no water left. Because I explain that not everybody in America understands that I'm in our country thank you. there are places where people do not have clean water. Last I heard, this is the United States of America. Am I yes. right about that? Yes, sir. And yet you got thousands of families mm -hmm. that have no water have in no their homes. Now, how do you live without you water? Tell me, you explain it to me. So you can't. This is incredibly powerful to have you right here where I grew up, where all of us are fighting on the front lines. You know, I always tell people. You want to see what doing nothing about climate justice? You want to see what doing nothing about education? You want to see what doing nothing on poverty looks like? Come to here. This is the front line of communities that can show you what doing nothing looks like. The third fourth congressional district. These kids are my heroes. <laughs> how old are you? 17. Okay. 16. 16? 19. 19. All right. How do you feel about the quality of the education you're getting? In some classes we don't have books. In the classes where we do have books, they're falling apart. And what about the quality of your teachers? Um, my teachers are the best, they work as hard as they can, but how, how can you work that hard in the classroom when you have to balance two or three jobs and also try to support your own family, so it's, it's hard on them, and it's just... It's They're working two or three jobs? Yes, so my teachers tell us, like, I gotta go, I have to go to my second job, Jesus I have to go Christ. pick up my own kids, so, yeah, my teachers deserve better. They sure do, and you deserve better. Never forget, not for one moment, that you are living in the wealthiest country in the history of the world, and what our job is, and Rashida knows this, is that we are going to take on the greed and corruption of a corporate elite who care only about the bottom line and making billions more and turning their backs on the people of this country and the people of this community. That's what this struggle is about. All right, let's do it. We deserve Bernie Sanders. He even attacked the establishment. Didn't play that soundbite. But there she is talking about Michigan is the third poorest in America. The bottom line in the richest country on earth, no one should struggle to get food or clean water or decent housing. Together we'll build a nation based on dignity for all. The entire world said that has been a Democrat district since 1949. So why would you think, it? yeah, Democrats have ran it. That's who's ran it. So. We're going to get some more politics on our This is America, but I'm going to close out this section with our one break. It's going to be a long soundbite. It's just Biden, MSNBC, three hours of Biden is gone, and it's been distilled down a few soundbites. 
And Andrew Yang, who just got hired by MSNBC, Biden's a shit, with Carvel saying, it's time to close this puppy down. And we come back in, it'll be time for news and social media nuggets. Enjoy. They're saying something very clearly, in my tip of a hat to Guy Fawkes. Remember, remember, this is all about November. These voters want to shut this thing down. I mean, you can just look all across the spectrum of the Democratic Party and people are saying, we made our decision, this is who we're going with. Can't, we can't diss these Democratic voters who are just coming out in, in every corner of this country saying, let's get on with this thing. Now, our mission as a party is to defeat Donald Trump. According to 538, there's a 99 to 1 chance that, that Vice President Biden is going to be the nominee. Let's shut this puppy down and let's move on and worry about November. This thing is decided. There's no reason to keep it going, but not even a day longer. What, what Democrats around the country are saying, and, and just everywhere that you go, they come in, James, we've we, we, we got to get rid of this guy. What are we doing? And these are not ordinary times. And we got to, you know, of course, the vice president, he's the guy in the lead. He's got to take the lead here. We've got to bring this party together. We have to stop this. This is not to any avail to continue this thing any longer. It really isn't. But we got to get out of here fast. And we and we got to get, uh, you know, Vice President Biden's campaign has got to orient itself toward November. We, we, we can't be, full, you know, we can't be bouncing around, lollygagging around the country now. we got we got a real job to do, and the party is ready to get on with the job. Maybe I would have wanted Michael Bennett or something like that. Forget all of that. Forget everything. we got one mission right here, united, and we got to win this thing, and we got to energize people, and I'm, I'm, Corporal Carville is reporting for duty right now. And him going toe-to-toe with that union member today, mm-hmm. where the rest of the union guys were all around, and he and used a bad word, um, mm-hmm. that will help him with those voters. It won't hurt him. It will help him. Biden's uh, success in the South last week continues a pattern where he is putting not just the South in play, but uh, the Sun Belt in play in a way that the Democrats haven't been able to do for some time. This is a fascinating kinetic moment in, in this campaign. I mean, never before have we had this kind of... Uh, nominating contests under the shadow of a global pandemic so we're really living history in real time he he had a a very soft tone of voice a very Mm -hmm. as if you're in the living room with him uh for most of the speech and just kind of ramped up his energy only slightly uh at the end but but it was all there all the time It, it 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 he he really was trying to create i think comfort stability, uh, talked about presidential leadership, and he used a phrase that, you know, in any other time, you wouldn't think anything of it. He said, if you give me the honor of becoming your president, and when, when I heard that, what I was hearing was, you know, the guy who has it now doesn't really think it's that much of an honor. He certainly doesn't honor the job. He doesn't honor the Oval Office. He doesn't honor the position. And and Joe Biden's use of that word honor, which at any other time I think would be a throwaway line in a political speech, uh, for me had some real... Uh, I believe that Joe Biden will be the Democratic nominee. And I've always said I'm going to support whoever the nominee is. So I hereby am endorsing Joe Biden to be not just the nominee for the Democratic Party, but the next president of the United States. And I say this... Uh, having supported Bernie Sanders in 2016, Bernie was an inspiration for me, inspired my run. Uh, but the math says Joe is our prohibitive 
nominee. We need to bring the party together. Uh, we need to start working on defeating Donald Trump in the fall. I've had many personal conversations with Joe about the impact of the fourth industrial revolution on the middle class. I believe that he's the right man for the job to help us not just to feed Donald Trump, but govern the country in the years ahead. And the question is, I guess I have for you, is what does he need to do to bring the Yang gang and the Sanders folks yeah, to I mean, him? And what do you say to your supporters who, who yep. might support Sanders? What I'd say is that uh, we need to start doing the work of improving Americans' lives on the ground because too many Americans have seen their way of life disintegrate over the last number of years, and Bernie has been calling out those problems and tapping into the frustration in the right way. And so if Joe says this is going to be a return to business as usual, he's in danger of losing many of the young people that came out for Bernie that supported my campaign. He has to show that, look, we know that this economy is not working for many, many Americans, millions of Americans who feel left behind. And you can't just say we're going to swing the pendulum back to the Obama-Biden years. We have to actually start doing the work that activated people to vote for Donald Trump, that activated people to get out uh, for Bernie Sanders. I believe Joe is open to that message. Uh, his heart's in the right place. He's a really, really uh, patriotic, public servant, decent man. He wants to do right by the American people. Uh, to me, uh, a lot of it's about getting real solutions in place that more and more Americans feel like will actually improve. Poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reid. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away. Were you trying to get crazy with this scene? Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. News and social media nuggets. Here we go. College crazy. Princeton students complain they did not feel included in the decision to invite Marshawn Lynch to the school. A group of Princeton University students were granted an anonymity by student paper, the Daily Princetonian, penned an op-ed title reforming the class day speaker selection process. Open letter to the class day co-chairs. Raising concerns about the school and selected Lynch as a speaker and called it opaque while they acknowledged Lynch's philanthropic efforts. The students expressed that the class felt disappointed by the announcement because they did not feel included in the process. Yeah, he's a black guy. Let Liberty College do that. Yeah. Another professor indicted over alleged secret ties to China, this time University of Tennessee, Knoxville. That's not good. Utah health professor advocates abortion fails to disclose Planned Parenthood ties. Dr. David Tarak, who is also associate professor at the University of Utah Health, recently wrote an op-ed in the Salt Lake Tribune about how people should be trusted when they decide to get an abortion. 
Tarak advocates for abortion, having on his resume one of the nation's largest abortion providers, PPFA. It's unclear whether Tuck currently works for PPFA, but media reports suggest Tarak, or Tarak, or whatever the fuck his name is, worked at Planned Parenthood as recently as 2018, and he was listed as Director of Surgical Services in Utah for 2012-2013. Planned Parenthood of Utah did not respond in time for publication or being asked about it. In his op-ed, both his title professor and his ties to Planned Parenthood were absent. Instead, he is simply described as an obstetrician gynecologist practicing in Salt Lake City. Trucks suggested that abortion care is extremely safe and that the same techniques are used with miscarriages while expressing concern that Utah politicians are interfering with patient-provider relationship. He asserts that this will also worsen the current state of medical care and jeopardize the future provisions of care here because medical providers do not want to practice in such an environment. Utah lawmaker Senator Kurt Ramble and Karen Linus P. have been pushing a bill criticized Tarak to require disposition of fetal remains through cremation or burial. Turek also stated that he may need to coerce a person to view an ultrasound, tell someone who's pregnant with an abusive partner that nobody would be able to provide her abortion care, and that he may even be forced to discuss burial or cremation with someone dealing sorry, double click with a miscarriage. He's concerned that he would not be permitted to honor the individual freedom to decide. He also shared an open letter to Utah legislator on his LinkedIn profile, urging healthcare providers in the state to sign and oppose pro-life legislation. Hmm. And we wonder why these kids are not becoming more pro-death. I think it's because they see people like this and go, what the fuck, dude? You can't make that argument. University Sex Week features free vibrator giveaway. Sex Jeopardy and condom bingo. Yeah, that's a thing. This was March 2nd to 6th at the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse. Breakfast and birth control. Teaching. Clitoral masturbation and free vibrator giveaway. Consent and pizza. Sex Jeopardy. Sex communication. Flashback Friday to high school sex ed, condom bingo, and menstrual product drive. What the fuck? According to a schedule of events, a week includes events called teaching, clitoral masturbation, where students can engage in conversation about clitoral masturbation, dealing with stigma and empowerment. First 40 attendees receive a free vibrator. Mm-hmm. Other events, Planned Parenthood called Breakfast and Birth Control, where students receive free food and information about birth control. That's probably not bad. The week of event is co-sponsored by UW Lacrosse Student Life Student Health Center, Campus Activities Board, and the Department of Psychology. The event is also co-sponsored by various student groups, such as the College Feminists. The week will feature a workshop called Flashback to Sex Ed. According to the event, the workshop will feature LGBTQ plus sex education. Yeah, so it's encouraged to come to this workshop to fill in the gaps and their knowledge of sex ed for gay people. Pretty easy. Put it in the butt. I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> what? Put it in the butt. Grab a strap on. Well, why do people need to know that? It's pretty easy. Just Google search. Uh, students are also invited to participate in a variety of sex-themed games such as Sex Jeopardy and Condom Bingo. Also, be a conversation about consent, sex communication. The event post also included a menstrual product drive to give people free tampons. Yeah, because that's really 
Really important. Jesus Christ. Two gay shit. Hey, hey, hey. Bow, bow, bow. Low pump and cut. Hey, gay shit. Any questions on page one? I'm going to share. I'm going to do the professional moment first today. Okay, everybody ready? Professional moment. I think it's important to address this topic because it appears to be important to people um, all over campus. So as you know, the general handbook was changed yesterday at about 11.30. The emails went out. Um, and so I wanted to talk about that a little bit. So let's begin because it, it changes the honor code. And I want to talk about the honor code as well. So let's begin with the handbook. So this is the handbook. It has about five or so paragraphs on uh, what they call same gender attraction or LGB issues. Okay. The first paragraph or two apply to both straight and gay people. It says, look, we're supposed to be chaste. So that applies to everybody. The middle, this is the one that directly talks about the issue that the honor code is now based on. So this is the brethren putting this into the handbook. You can get it online. Handbook one is gone. The one that people weren't allowed to read. If you, if you're in a bishopric, you could. And handbook two was online. Well, now they're both gone. They don't, they don't exist anymore. This, there's one handbook. It's online. Everybody in the world can read it. Awesome. Transparency. So this is what they say. If members feel same-sex attraction and are striving to live the law of chastity, leaders support and encourage them in their resolve. These members may receive church callings, hold temple recommends, and receive temple ordinances, if they are worthy. Male members may receive and exercise the priesthood. So guys, if we believe in 15 living apostles, we believe that their hand is all over the official handbook for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Do we all accept that logic? We all accept that logic. We believe in continued revelation. This now becomes the basis for the honor code. Follow the logic. Does it say anything here that if a gay couple holds hands, they are not striving toward the law of chastity? Does it say if a straight couple holds hands, is a straight couple still striving towards chastity if they hold hands? I think we'd all say yes. If a straight couple hugs, are they still striving towards chastity? I think we'd say yes, because all of you straight students do that. I do that. If you kiss somebody, you're still striving for, chair, for uh, chastity, aren't you? If a boy and a girl kiss out in front of my class, they've been doing it for 20 years. We go, oh, how cute. They're probably getting married in the temple next week. It's, it's fine. It's wholesome. There's no problem. There's no problem at all. Read that handbook. So this, was, this is what we now do for students who are LGB, right? LGBTQ, the whole, we can say all. Um, this is the honor code. This is the official honor code now. There's an addendum, but it mentions nothing about LGBT issues. If you read it, it's very, very similar to the old honor code, but they took out the two paragraphs that prohibited homosexual behavior. They took it out. It's, it does not exist anymore. It does not exist. So, of course, if you're an ally, you got very excited about this because you're saying, wow, this is, this is like a watershed moment in the history of BYU. Then I wanted to clarify things for you. Um, BYU sent out an official tweet, and it was this. So they said, in speaking with, this was yesterday, in speaking with Honor Code Office Director Keith Kevin Utt this afternoon, we've learned 
that there may be some uh, been some miscommunication as to what the honor code changes mean. Even though we have removed the more prescriptive language, the principles of the honor code remain the same. The updated honor code continues to be a principle-based code that reflects the moral standards of the church. It allows each campus to support and guide its students on an individual basis according to the principles outlined in the honor code. Okay, so I'm thinking to myself, that's confusing. Like, I'm not sure what, so I look at USA Today, I look at Deseret News, which is owned by the church, I look at KSL, which is owned by the church, and it's pretty confusing, like, what does this mean? Can you date and be gay at BYU, meaning holding hands, kissing, hugging, doing everything that straight students are able to do? Are you allowed to do that? Obviously, no one's allowed to break the law of chastity. No one's allowed to do any kind of sex. We all agree with that. But I'm like, whoa. What are the... So I called the honor code before my 8 a.m. class. I called honor code office. I talked to one of their full-time counselors, and I specifically asked them that question. I said, look, there's a lot of miscommunication in the national news. On BYU campus and anywhere else, are gay students allowed to have the same ability to hold hands, to hug, to date, to kiss, to do whatever straight couples do. I asked that exact question. And the answer was, the honor code no longer prohibits that. That's the answer. That's the answer. So, not everybody digs it. They even told me, they even said it would be illegal for us to try to kick somebody out because that is not written anywhere in the church handbook of instructions, which I just read you, or in the honor code anymore. But he said something different. He said, Jim, please, because I told him, I'm going to tell 1,200 students what you tell me today. He said, look at number three. You see number three? Respect others. In the past, my friends who are queer have had BYU students all the time make snipey comments, calling them homophobic words or transphobic words. Happens constantly. I wish it didn't. But I guess since it's not the real F-bomb, they think the other F-bomb isn't as bad. It's actually worse. Well, here's the deal. I've been told by two different counselors on two different occasions. If, if a gay couple is holding hands or flirting with each other or hanging out like any straight couple would, and you have a problem with it, and you whisper something under your breath, or you say something to them, or you crack a joke, they can report you to the honor code office. And they will, they will start a formal investigation of number three on you, the person who's being disrespectful. In the past, gay couples were afraid to say anything or gay kids were afraid to say anything because then they were afraid the honor code would kill them. So I'm just saying, we need to be more Christ-like. We need to be more Christ-like now. We need to make sure that we are respecting everybody. Now, if you have a problem with this, I looked on Instagram and there's some people running around campus. They have a major problem with this. It amazes me because what they're saying is they don't have a testimony of the living apostles. Because if the living apostles are the ones who said this is what we're supposed to do. And you've got people running around saying that the living apostles are wrong. then who really is having the problem right now with their testimony? I would say it's the people running around campus saying that the brethren are wrong for, for making this adjustment to the honor code and to the handbook. Just something for you to think about. I mean, just something. But I do realize for some of us, including me, who've been praying for this moment for years, today is a massive watershed yesterday for, for us. 
for others of you, this is a huge struggle. And I understand that. It's a massive struggle. You're like, what are you telling me? Two girls are going to be able to kiss on campus? That's blowing my head off. Two guys can walk around campus holding hands? And this is what I have to say. EYGU just did you a massive favor. Because when you get out in the workplace, your boss might be gay. Your boss might be trans. You definitely will have coworkers who are gay. You're going to have people all over the place who are LGBT. Everywhere. And you're not going to know how to react. We've, we had a student fired from our number one recruiting company. All of you would kill to go to this company because he made a, a homophobic remark to one of his gay coworkers. He was a return missionary. He was a good guy. I know the guy. He had a wife and kids. Do you think he meant to be hateful? No, he had just never seen two boys together before because he wasn't allowed to see it at BYU. So if you see same gender couples walking around being respectful, acting like straight couples, that's really going to get you ready for the real world. That is a blessing. If you have a major issue with this, trust me, that's actually going to be a blessing. So, okay, that's the honor code. If anybody like to discuss it, the honor code office has said they really want you to go by and talk to them. Whether you have any questions, whether, and what they have told me is they want each person to come up, whether you're gay, straight, trans, bi, cis, it doesn't matter. A personal definition to you on what it means to be virtuous and to obey the law of chastity. They want you to come up with your own personal definition of that. At least that's what the guy told me today when I was walking here at 730 in the morning. So if you need help doing that, the honor code says they would love for you to come in and talk to them. They'd love for you to come in and talk to them. Okay. And of course, I'm always available. If someone's struggling with this on either side, um, come talk to Brow. So I'm, I'm cool either way. I get it. All right. Let's talk about um, business entities. We'll still have a spiritual thought. That was the professional development moment. And to be honest, I always share a message on how you guys are just going to have to be ready for when you retire, you know, I mean, for when you get out into the real world and you're working, you need to be ready for all kind of diversity to include LGBT colleagues, friends, uh, bosses. You need to be ready for that. Okay, so, all right, here we go. So let's talk about business entities. Well, there was a lot of uproar on that. After BYU revives anti-gay honor code, LGBT students urged to transfer. BYU has left many of its gay students exposed and vulnerable after several weeks of confusing changes and attempted clarification on the honor code. On February 12th, BYU amended the code with which all students and faculty are required to abide by by removing two paragraphs that pertain to prohibition to homosexual behavior. Students seeking clarification on how to change might affect gay and bisexual students were reportedly told by school administrators that actions such as holding hands, kissing, and going on dates with members of the same sex would no longer be prohibited by the honor code. A video was also disseminated online and showing BYU professors delivering a lecture where he confirms the chariot change. In the days following these assurance, many BYU students celebrated by wearing rainbows, photographing themselves kissing on campus. Yeah. Uh-huh. And coming out to friends and roommates. These actions were often met with homophobic remarks and protests, but students took solace in the idea that the honor code change would protect them. Unfortunately, the celebrations proved premature. This Wednesday, the Mormon Church issued a statement by Elder Paul V. Johnson, Commissioner of Church Education System, followed by a Q&A with Honor Code Office Director Kevin Utt, who confirmed that activities such as same-sex hand-holding, kissing, and dating would be punishable by the honor code. I'm not going to read the rest of this article because it's a gay article from 
uh, advocate. It's a religious school. It's a religious school. If you don't like it, go away. There is no religion that co-ops that sexuality between two people is okay. There is none. Mormons just say you can't do it. Muslims throw people off roofs and stone them to death. But I don't see a bunch of articles on Pink News and MSDNC and The Advocate and The Gay Blade. I don't see those articles or TV shows. Because you're fucking hypocrites. Here's a bit of news that flew under the radar this week. The Alabama Senate passed a 22-3 to bill that would criminalize sex change surgeries and the use of puberty blockers and opposite-sex hormones to youth under the age of 19. The bill is called the Vulnerable Child Compassion and Protection Act. Now, 19-year-old kid in my book isn't a kid, but here's the reality. You monkey said that somebody should be on their parents' fucking health care until 26. So, yeah. Representative Fred Deutsch, with a vote of 22 to 3, the Alabama Senate passed a bill criminalizing the act of sex-related surgeries prescribing opposite sex hormones and drugs used to arrest puberty to gender-confused youth under the age of 19. State's already in trouble with liberals because Alabama governor did the Pro-Life Human Right Protection Act. Senator Shay Shelnut from Trustville was a sponsor of legislation. He stressed that the practices should not be performed on children because of their inability to give consent. Isn't that a pain in the ass, liberals? You guys play consent that even as a married man, can I smack you on the butt? Nope. Can I kiss you? Nope. I mean, you are the consent people. But yet you don't think there needs to be consent with children getting their dicks turned into fucking gooches. Okay. It should not be for children. I just think that others don't think that kids should be given experimental drugs or surgeries that should have an irreversible consequence for the rest of their life. Kids are not fully developed until later in life. I think we can all agree that kids aren't capable of making certain decisions in certain ages. And so, we want to just stop these procedures from happening in Alabama. The ACLU of Alabama came running to the rescue. Their tweet, breaking Senate Bill 219, which would ban gender-affirming medical and mental health care for trans youth. It's on the Senate floor and can be voted on today. The passage of the bill will harm minors. Let the Alabama Senate know you oppose SB 219. And they brought on an African-American to talk about. Hey everyone, so it's important to know that the Senate has decided to put SB 219 on the calendar for a vote on the floor. This is a bill that will deny medical care to transgender youth. We have to contact our senators right now to let them know that they need to stop this bill. This bill will deny critical medical care access and criminalize any medical experts for providing such care to transgender youth. This is an absolute infringement upon the rights and join us now in stopping this piece of legislation. Now, I said African-American because you can decide for yourself if that was a gay African-American, which I do believe it was, and that's why they did it. Because remember, it's just not good enough to be a white gay person anymore. You have to be a person of color gay person. Intersectionality. Michelle S. 68. The cause, this will cause short, both long, I'm fucking this all up. This will cause both long-term and short-term harm to transhuman beings. You have legalized the torture of children and teens. This will cause children and teens to commit suicide. Really? 
others. This is great news. Great news. So glad that Alabama lawmakers have their heads on straight. No doubt there'll be some TQ plus news articles citing Alabama as a hate state. Not so. This is achievement in child protection. Well done. This way, a child gets to be a child. So much can change or be cemented in those important puberty years. Doctors who prescribe these pills to minors are knowingly violating their oath to do good, do no harm. Thanks for leading the nation on this, Alabama. Sort of leads the country in passing legislation that make Hollywood freak out. So let's see where this goes and how long it will take Alyssa Milano to catch on and call for another state boycott. Hasn't been one yet because this is way under the radar. They're too busy saying that the coronavirus is killing everybody and it's Trump's fault because he's running around giving everybody coronavirus. Yeah. First thing out of my wife's mouth, let's move to Alabama. They seem to be doing the right thing. Why do we think this? Well, the next article. Kink is a valid part of LGBTQ life. I'll just read the beginning. The representation of kink in the media is being strangled without its consent, and someone must give it breath. From dominatrix bound to dungeons and PVC boots, and submissives being yelled at by their unforgiving masters, kinksters within the rainbow remain portrayed as nothing more than cosplay characters. Recently, there have been several attempts at representing BDSM and kink in film and television for the purpose of focusing on LGBTQ mini, let's erase Fifty Shades of Debacle from our tainted memories. Speaking of lesbian kink and BDSM in the media, it is unfortunate that such stories often fall short of expectation. Peter Strickland's Duke of Burgundy left dominance and submissives craving to feel. I'm not reading anymore. This is like the 15th article on kink. Maybe we don't want our kids around that. Maybe kids shouldn't be around that. To a pink news, local councils are asking young people kicked out of their homes for being LGBT plus for proof of their homelessness. Local councils in Eagle, blah, 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 blah. Young LGBT plus people are disproportionately at risk of family abandonment, homelessness, and human trafficking. According to the Albert Kennedy Trust, 24% of homeless youth are LGBTQ plus, and these young people, 69% of them, experience family rejection, abuse, and violence. BBC Three in the next episode contacted each of the 343 local councils in England. Out of 175 responses, 55 said they require proof of homelessness. Some young people said, however, that they were still asked for letters even after disclosing the abuse they had suffered. Da 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 da! This is ridiculous. They should just get free shit. These fucking pink news people are terrible. Trans author perfectly explains how transphobia has become respectable bigotry. Well, let's dig into this. Trans author Julia Jaquez, who looks like me with tits, perfectly explained how transphobia seen across the political spectrum has become respectable bigotry in the UK. Last month saw the launch of a labor campaign for trans rights, a grassroots campaign which warned that the Labor Party has failed to act on transphobia Despite the party's official support for trans equality and gender recognition reforms, labor leadership hopeful Rebecca Long Bailey, if you got a hyphen name, you're a douchebag, and Lisa and Andy both signed up the group's pledges to include to expel transphobes from the party and stand with the trans non-binary community. But Keir Starmer did not. He, however, signed the LGBT plus labor pledges. Jaquez, author of Trans a Memoir... <laughs> We like ourselves. Wrote an opinion piece in the New York Times. The outcry was immediate. People started the hashtag, expel me on Twitter. Hecklers disrupted leadership hustings 
And Tony Blair, former leader of the Prime Minister, warned of a cul-de-sac of identity politics. To many, the sight of a center-left party failing to support trans rights without equivocation must be baffling. Not least to American Democrats, whose party, divided in many ways, is firmly united in its support for trans and non-binary. But really, it's no surprise. Transphobia, constantly amplified by the country's mainstream media, is a respectable bigotry in Britain shared by parts of the left as well as the right. Julia Jacquez explained there are two primary types of transphobia in the UK, which spread across political parties and mainstream media. The first, employed most frequently but not exclusively by right-wing men, completely rejects the idea that trans people exist and insists the gender must only be defined by physiological traits. Well, I guess I fall in that group. I don't reject it. You can go play dress-up all you want, but there's dicks and there's vaginas. Fake vaginas don't make babies. Fake dicks don't make sperm. You can call it a dick. It's not a dick. The other type, a so-called radical feminist tradition, argue that trans women requests for gender recognition are incompatible with cis women's rights to single-sex spaces. At its core, such an argument is not at odds with the first type, but rely on the conceit that trans and non-binary people should not determine their own gender identities. But it is a second strain that is often expressed on the British left, from the communist morning star to the liberal new statesman, the Guardian also. Jack S. said when tackling British unreformed and unrepentant hostile media and the virulent transphobia, it instantly turns out, calls for unity won't be enough. She added that the Labour Party and its new leaders must decide whose support is worth keeping. So, I think the problem is these people just don't get enough attention. I think, once again, it's no longer about you must accept my lifestyle. You must embrace my lifestyle. You must be my lifestyle. If you're not my lifestyle, you're a fucking piece of shit. But they get plenty of fucking goddamn attention. This weekend, I saw LGBTQ was a pushed, whether I wanted it or not, Trending fucking hashtag. Never has a nigger, nigga with an A, protect me every day with you like a blessing. I said LGBTQ, two gay guys. Oh, you like girls too? Let's date. Come and see me, Josie. Dude, I can wear whatever the fuck I want now. Confused guy, the grass is greener with me. A girl... I don't know what, happy sun gay. Today's tag is I say LGBTQ. Every sexuality, gender, and the LGBTQ spectrum is invited to join. People around the world are invited to feminist gayry. I don't know what the fuck that is. Got kicked out of the club yesterday for kissing my boyfriend. Reminds me why I joined these tags in the first place. They're kissing on the cheek. That looks like I just want to be in on the fad. Um... Why so serious? Very pretty girl. Experiment on me. And she's trying to look like a guy, I think. I don't know. She's pretty, though. She's probably just to drop the dumb. I'm not going to carry it on. It's a whole thing. It was all over the place. It's forced. And they always get it. Then there's this. They're not happy with LGBT character and Disney onward. Feast on Cyclops scraps. It's strange to be anxious during a kids' movie, but the butterflies fluttered during a recent screening onward. The first Dixie Pixar with an openly gay character. 
Considering the years, I'm going to try to read it like a gay person. Uh, considering the years of baggage I carry when it comes to, this is probably homophobic, I don't care. When it comes to hearing movie audience hoot and holler, gag and explode, who gags? I don't gag unless it's a piece of popcorn. Explode in peals of mocking laughter when gay stuff comes up. Maybe the tension was not so odd. The nerves did turn out to be misplaced. When Lena Waithe's Cyclop cop character discussed the trails of helping raise her girlfriend's children. The moments passed with no sound or emotion from the audience. Waits coming out was a quick but clear moment, one that didn't phase the well-to-do L.A. parents and their rap children attending the screening. My son didn't even take notice, but as a child of two dads, women talking about girlfriends and men discussing their boyfriends or husband passes without notice. Waits' character never reappears and serves little purpose in the grand scheme of Onward, which, like many Disney movies, centers on a child longing for de- departed parents. I was slightly disappointed that the lesbian or bi cop was such a throwaway character and that Wade didn't have more to do, but I was still generally pleased. Onward's inclusion is proof that Hollywood is starting to accept LGBTQ people are part of the world and they no longer need to be hidden from the view of children. Hollywood is embracing. Fuck me running. Every fucking show has a gay character. And then it's not good enough because they're not leads and the character's not deep enough. It's a cartoon. What did you want him to be? Oh, I know what you wanted. You want it to fuck other it's. On screen in front of kids. Yeah, this is how we fuck. Because kink's a part of gayness. It doesn't matter. Every character's not good enough for you moon bats. Uh, let me continue on. Then for the view, like the candidacies of Hillary Clinton, Camelia Harris, Amy Klobuchar, Pete Buttleg, and Liz Warren, Onward's queer character represents a transitionary moment we're living in. Misogyny and homophobia are so ingrained in our society that a female or LGBTQ president is getting closer, but still far from reality. While depictions of queer people in entertainment are still so innocuous that the tiny inclusion of children's movie inspires several think pieces. So, what would it look like when we have this motherfucker's doing a think piece? Yeah. So what would it look like when we have kids' movies that center on LGBTQ plus E-I-E-I-O dot five cosine a pi characters or theme? Instead of a quick reference to the same-sex partner or spouse, imagine if Disney protagonist wears gender non-confirming clothes or falls in love with their same-sex best friend. If, instead of daddy issues, or the mystery of the afterlife, a hero's journey with slowly grasping the world bias against people like them and working to undo it, that's truly thrilling to imagine. It's thrilling. You can already hear the rustling of one million mom's phone tree, right? Of course. A kid's movie that centers on gay characters or stories does not have to be sexual or racy to tell an honest story, but the connection between gay people and depravity remains embedded in our culture, so much so that Pixar still has a tiptoe around the issue in 2020. The discomfort is also so ingrained in us as queer people that we often make the association ourselves and pant with anxiety when our lives are served up for public consumption that you demand. You demand we put it out there and then you get nervous about it being out there and you don't like it when it's out there. I'm convinced this is the growing pains of evolving society but it still pains. On the left. No, it doesn't. 
No, it doesn't. Here's the reality. Educating liberals sums it up. Remember when conservatives said gay marriage was a slippery slope? Well, now we have drag queen story time, gay sex taught to kids, men and women's sports, girls and boy scouts, kids being castrated, adults flashing kids in parades, and now they want to normalize pedophilia because you had AJ and me, RuPaul, with men tucking dicks. It's never enough for you goons. And you're goons. You literally are goons. You spend all your fucking time pushing an agenda. It's never good enough. And your direct target is children. So much so, they did a gay character in a Pixar movie. More to follow on that. I'm going to find some reviews from conservatives. Because I bet people didn't take their kids to it. The media was jerking off to the gay character. And a lot of people just don't want that with their kids. So here is everything is racist. And we have CBS warning us common words and phrases are now racist. Oh my God. Write them down. Everything is racist. Many headlines referred to the stock market plunge yesterday as Black Monday, and that is just one of the subtle and not-so-subtle ways that racism has been braided into our everyday culture. So many misconceptions and, and truly lies throughout the history of, of what children are taught about their history. Um, I, I hate to put it that directly, but you know, when you go back and you, you, you look at people like uh, Thomas Jefferson, uh, George Washington, these founding fathers who were so revered, how do you reteach that? Even terms like Black Monday, mm -hmm. um, Black Sheep, can, can be freighted with, it, with, a, with a negative connotation that sometimes we don't even realize. It's baked into the vocabulary. Yeah, yeah and I don't think we, we even realize, when we, we have a skin color, and a regular color, and, and we're connoting both in a negative fashion. There are relationships between the two, and, and I think we have to break not only the relationship, but those negative connotations. Black Friday was literally because when you write in a PNL, a positive is in black ink, and a negative is in red ink. So it was to mean that they were going to get back in the black. You sell a bunch of shit at the end of the year and balance and become profitable. It had nothing to do with race. That, that had nothing to do with it. But you guys will spend all your time parsing these words. You'll ignore the following. Here's a two-minute video. This is from John Levine. A chunk Unger screaming at black airline employees while the flight's delayed. And another liberal white dude explaining Chris Hayes claims black voters could only be part of the Democratic Party because of structural structural white supremacy in the Republican Party. One response off this. Whitest guy ever tells people of color how they should vote and where, and we're the racists. He was talking to a black lady, too. We've been here three hours. 
uh, and American Airlines sucks. Uh, they decided, for whatever reason, to screw everybody on this flight. It just frustrates me that some industries just get to screw you over and go, nah, you got to fly at some point, right? <laughs> and there's Gustavo. That's a TYT viewer. I, I, and I'm hungry and I'm tired. And so, like, you know me, I, I get more agitated when I'm hungry and tired. So, look, if you guys think this is bad, wait till... If that plane doesn't actually come from the hangar in 20 minutes, is the flight coming? Supervisor, is the flight coming? Supervisor, you at least got to be honest. Is there a flight? Is there a plane? You got to be honest. Is there a plane? Is there a plane? Where's the plane? Where's the plane? Is there a plane? Where is it? Where's the plane? You know, but listen, if we just sit here and take it, they'd have us here until 6 in the morning, and then they'd fuck us even harder, okay? So, I need to... You're a supervisor, aren't you? Where's the plane? Sorry, I'm not going to answer your question. No, I know, because I've been here for four hours. Don't give me this. Where's the plane? Here, I got a question for you. When did you make the decision that we weren't going to have a plane? When did you make that decision? Who made the decision? Who made the decision that we weren't... It's funny to you, right? It's not funny to us. Who made the decision? Who made the decision? Who made it? Well, who is it then? That's what I'm asking. Whose fault is it? Whose fault is it? Is there a crew? Is there a crew? Is there a crew? Okay, let me whisper it. Is there a crew? Is there a plane or a crew? Flight 204, your plane is already on its way from the hangar. No, 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 but they, they told us that four hours ago. Is it actually coming? Is it actually coming? Because I literally heard it was coming from the hangar three hours ago. I literally heard that. And the second thing is that, look, white people in America have two parties to choose from. And they between those two parties, they sort in all kinds of ways. So people that are college, uh, postgraduate atheists who live in metro areas like those are democrats and people that are uh rural and go to church every week and were high school uh graduates most likely republican for black voters in those two categories they're both going to be in the democratic party right because there's only one party they can be a part of because of the nature of structural white supremacy in america and the political coalition so you've got a broader range mm -hmm. of black lived experience in among african-american voters in the party than you even do in some ways of white voters you don't talk about that. Liberals. That's not a thing. Last podcast, a, a liberal woman telling somebody what the fuck MLK said. I mean, what the fuck, Chuck? And then you find stories like this. Racism and Pokemon. September 29 question. Jim Crow Museum at Fair State University has listed Pokemon character Jinx as the example of racism in modern material. This is an obvious defamation. The following is rebuttal against your decision, blah, 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 blah. But where did it come from? Black Lives Matter accused Pokemon Go of inherent racism. No, seriously. Privileged white people ru run blue-eyed avatar through their neighborhoods knowing the police won't shoot. Leaders of Black Lives Matter movement have charged Pokemon Go, Nintendo's new hit game app, with inherent racism. There are three respects in which Pokemon Go is regarded as racist by those in the know in the BLM movement. The first respect is that it's much safer to play Pokemon Go, which requires you to walk around your own neighborhood if you're white and live in your own neighborhood. Secondly, if you're black and you play Pokemon in Beverly Hills, chances are the police are going to stop you. 
question you and see what you're really up to. So, they say. <clears throat> the third respect is which Pokemon Go is racist is that you can set yourself up as a white avatar, hunting down and collecting or shooting the black monsters in your own neighborhood. Yes, like Jar Jar Binks before them, large-eyed Pokemon Go characters like Fire Red, Leaf Green, Diamond Pearl, blah blah fucking are all really just stands in for black people. This is in the tradition of Al Jolson and the jazz singer. Blackface doesn't mean you're a minstrel. It means you're a well-you-know-what. And anyone else notice that you can design your own avatar to be blue-eyed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In England tonight, Black Lives Matter protesters have shut down the 405 freeway and uh, by LAX. So if you're walking around the 405 freeway playing Pokemon characters, where there's a couple of reasons not to go there. See, for example, Pokemon Go could be a death sentence for a black man by North Carolina-based author Oman Akil. My brain started combing the complexities of being black in America with the real-world proposal of wandering and exploration that is designed in the gameplay of Pokemon Go. There was only one conclusion. Conclusion: I might die if I keep playing. And then he goes through a whole thing of how it's double standard and that black people can't do it. A Tumblr post that explains how to walk around and play Pokemon as a black person includes tips... Dress cute, bringing a non-black friend with you, avoid white neighborhoods, walk a dog, go into stores and buy something. Basically, you got to put white people at ease by seeming as childish and or bookish as possible. Really, that, that was a thing. I just didn't see it. So that's some racist shit saying Black Monday is racist shit. And maybe you wonder why people look at you and go, what the fuck? down! You're the next contestant on Liberal Shit! That was some Mexican protesters throwing bombs, like Molotov cocktails at their government over misogyny and abortion, and they hit themselves. But Bernie, who's soon to get the hell out of here, summed up with waiting for them to introduce their one-child policy only. Here is him talking about increasing over the $650 million we already give. As a U.S. Senator, I hear a lot of speeches on the floor of the Senate from conservative Republicans who tell us they believe in small government and getting the government off the backs of the American people. And I say to those hypocrites, if you believe in getting the government off the backs of the American people, please understand that it is women who have a right to control their own bodies, not the government.
And my promise, my promise to you is that I will never nominate anybody to the Supreme Court or any federal court who is not 100% pro Roe v. Wade. Trump and his friends want to cut funding for Planned Parenthood. Well, we've got some bad news for them because we're going to substantially increase funding for Planned Parenthood. And then my better half finds me this perfect summation of where we're at nowadays. It used to be safe or legal, safe or infrequent. Now it's I've had 21 abortions. Anti-abortion group uses t-shirts to fight abortion. I'm not going to read this article. This is all I could find. When I tried to research this lady, and she's all over the internet, all you could find from Google was anti-choice people. BuzzFeed. Gabriel Sanchez. This powerful photo series asking women to talk about their abortions. That's what you could find. You couldn't find, and we're going to save that for next podcast, but you couldn't find the t-shirts I've had an abortion. You couldn't find who's this lady that's had 21 abortions. You couldn't find anything like that. It just wasn't there. It just wasn't there. It was anti-choice people. That's that's Google. Then there's NARAL, because I guess March 10th is International We Kill Baby Day, and you're supposed to thank your abortion, the executioner of your baby. That's a thing. Happy Abortion Provider Appreciation Day to all those enable women to control their destinies. You are real, live superheroes. Yeah. That literally is a thing. Which makes you think, what the fuck is wrong with you? I had a soundbite of Hillary, but I'm not going to play it because it's the same old Washington Examiner. Even in advanced societies, women in the workplace still viewed as something of an oddity, she says. Here are some of just some of the replies, all right? Um, This is what they sell to keep their mob happy. Permanent victimhood. It sells votes to ignorant class, empty half-empty crowd. It's easy to dismiss her as being out of touch, but that's not the case here. Part of the evil of liberalism is that must convince women and minorities that they're victims, and America hates them. That way, the Dems can pose as rescuers and get their votes. I've never felt uncomfortable, and I've worked in the multi-million dollar insurance company. That's funny. I'm a chef. I haven't found it, but the whole world really was saying more of this. I have no idea what she's talking about. In what country? Have you ever really worked in the workplace? And that's the key thing. She hasn't. She has always pretty much been on the government dole. She was a lawyer for a while. She got fired. So they still want to bring her out. They did a documentary on um, Hulu. Going to cover it in depth. Not going to. Sick of it. Five things that, or six worst moments. Obama called Trump a fascist. Bill blamed his cheating on anxiety. No mention of Juanita Broderick. Hillary laughed off her email scandal. Andrea Mitchell gushed over Hillary. 
It shows all the times Andrea Mitchell has gushed over her. Because, you know, that's what Andrea Mitchell does. And Hillary cleared herself in Bill of Wrongdoings on anything. But of course that was loud because Hulu. Then Time, 100 Women of the Year, allows just two conservatives and one Republican. Time Magazine, a liberal dinosaur publication, is desperately trying to hold on its relevance. It's latest effort to rewind 100 year years and pretend that the magazine has been giving out a Woman of the Year prize all back to 1921. We counted, and here's the revealing totals. Of the women who were Democrats, elected or otherwise, a liberal activist or left-leaning feminist, 21, number of conservatives, Republicans, 3. Margaret Thatcher, Congresswoman Margaret Chase Smith, and Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. That's right. They found three conservative Republican women in a hundred years. During that time, Hillary, Obama's wife, Nancy, Jacqueline Kenney, Eleanor Roosevelt, Ruth Bader Ginnis, Anita Hill. That's who they've given. They go all the way back to 1925. Margaret Sanger, eugenics, killed black babies. And Gloria Steinem, Angela Davis, a fucking communist. That's who they've done. Then, black gun owner in Jersey was arrested for carrying a licensed gun and possessing legal ammunition. He even had a permit. A black man in Jersey is fighting charges after being arrested for carrying a firearm and possessing polymer tip ammunition, both of which he says is authorized to do under the new law, under state law, excuse me. New Jersey police arrested Roosevelt Twin, a 25-year-old black American who worked as a security guard in February after officers performed a traffic stop and found the vehicle. Twins attorney, Evan Knappen, told the news outlet that his client was then charged for illegally carrying a firearm and being in possession of ammunition, hollow points. But he had a permit and everything. Um, his statements as for the police, uh, Palmer tip coordinate critical duty ammunition is quite in question. Knappen directed attention to New Jersey State Police website says the munition is not considered to be hollow point and it's not illegal to possess in the state. It's it's lawful. It's publicly announced as lawful because it's not hollow point. It's filled. Napa and that while the three white police officers who made the rest did not make any racist remarks during the incident, the issue of race is the elephant in the room. Well, it would be if he was against guns. But because he's pro-gun, yeah, they're, they're not covering it. They're, they're just not... Then we had Extinction Rebellion. This is pretty fucked up. If you are just joining us, this is a solidarity movement. So this is action today as part of women standing up and working together for change, saying no to abuse across the planet and uh, abusing women, which seems to be, um, according to research that's been done last year and um, in years previous to that, uh, 
disproportionately affecting women. Yeah, women tend to be the victims of violence as soon as climate disaster happens. Um, so while we're able to do this action today, it's important to mention that there are other countries that are doing actions today too. Places like Colombia, Argentina, Uganda, the Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, Gambia, Nigeria, the Philippines, Belgium, Pakistan, Spain, Switzerland and Turkey. This is a global action. Um, the, the climate crisis is something that should unite us all and women as well, and especially given that it does disproportionately affect us. Now, speaking to us today, we've got Linda, um, who is part of the action. Hi, Linda. Um, how are you finding it here today? Um, it's quite cold, to be honest, and quite nerve-wracking, just still standing on Waterloo Bridge. Um, yeah. States of Rebellion protesters are currently blocking Waterloo Bridge in London, International Women's Day. Climate emergency is a women's emergency. We're here to highlight the increase in hardship, violence, and rape already facing women in the global south as a result of climate ecological emergency. Liberal nut job women are using every opportunity to let their tits hang out. Somebody else. Climate change and boobs are connected. The end is near. Last night, I watched FBI. I, I love the show, but every once in a while they decide to go political. And here's how they went last night. A anti or climate change protest blood in or blood dying with blood everywhere they're screaming and yelling at fucking people somebody comes up and shoots a person instantly it's climate deniers then it's a republican who's a bad person he says he says he's a bad person and it turns out to be an african-american youth who was linked up with people that were trying to kill the guy. I haven't finished the show, but right off the bat, it was climate deniers. Of course, climate deniers go out and shoot people. That's what's happening everywhere. They go to climate change protests and they shoot people, which has happened exactly zero fucking times. Whereas Antifa and climate change has destroyed all sorts of shit, but they're not going to do a show on that. No, not doing it. Because if we did that, we'd have to be fucking against the left. So, can't do that crap. Then there's this article. It seems New York lawmakers can't even recognize hypocrisy. Fine with the state legislator easing the rules on alcoholic ice cream. But wonder how many lawmakers square that with their recent move to ban flavored vaping products and e-cigarettes. A, I didn't even know there was alcoholic ice cream. B, he's got a good point. Which brings us to our lighter fare. We're going to hear two sound bites. Soldiers leaving, I believe it was Afghanistan after the deployment, singing Country Road. And I think her name's Kat Timp. She was on the Greg Gutfield show and she did a fantastic rendition of Elizabeth Warren. Tuesday, and I think it's time that we seriously think about my experience as a handicapped black man fighting racism in the South. No, I was in Nam. Okay, draft at 18. Fire fights like you never saw. I saw things you could never forget. When we hit.
hit Normandy, it was like nothing you'd ever seen. No one is going to believe you fought in World War II. I'm pregnant with an alien baby. You're 70. Are you saying that I'm too 70 to be pregnant? Okay, check this out. Okay, who's too 70 to be pregnant now? Okay, we don't tolerate the age shaming, all right? You're fired. Goodbye. Goodbye. Okay, all right. So, who won last night? Joe Biden. Huh, okay. So, so now I identify as Joe Biden. So, my son Hunter's an ass, but I'm not his father. That's it. I've got a plan for that, too. I am not his dad. Oh, this is going to be great. I just need to figure out what song I'm going to dance to at my victory party. I'm going to dance on out of here now, guys. All right. I'll see you. Every once in a while, Twitter does something good. And one of them was, Superman wears Chuck Norris underwear. Twitter celebrates Chuck Norris' 80th birthday. Here are some of the tweets. Rob Hill, Forest Warrior, 1996, one of my favorite gifts. Chuck Norris, 80-year-olds today. Superman wears Chuck Norris underwear. Chuck Norris doesn't do push-ups. He pushes the world down. That's from Nick Grady. Lou Ferringo trading Chuck Norris. They got pics of him. Born Carlos Ray Norris on March 10, 1940 in Ryan, Oklahoma. Chuck would go on to become one of the biggest kick-ass stars of the 80s. He does look pretty old. Bigfoot claims he saw Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris, born this day on March 10th. That's Mac Cocktail. My career fit. Chuck Norris turns 80 today, so to celebrate, we pick our favorite Chuck Norris joke. When Chuck Norris enters the room, he doesn't turn the lights on. He turns the dark off. <laughs> Jeff Cook. Happy 80th birthday to Chuck Norris, who can light a fire by rubbing two ice cubes together, can cut through a not hot knife with butter, has grizzly bear carpet, it's not dead, just afraid to move, is the reason Waldo is hiding. Oh, that's a good one. Billy D. When Chuck Norris walks into room, he doesn't turn, oh man, somebody ripped off the double joke. Mac Cocktail, when a zombie apocalypse starts, Chuck Norris doesn't try to survive. The zombies do. Yes, they do. Hughes, happy birthday, Chuck Norris. Doesn't read books. He just stares them down until he gets the information he wants. Uh, Aaron, today is Chuck Norris' 80th birthday, and he could still kick your butt. Another one, Doug Rumor. Did you know Chuck Norris once visited the Virgin Islands? Now they're called the Islands. <laughs> And lastly, Michael Landers. 80 years ago, Chuck Norris built the hospital he was born in. (laughs) Then, there was a dirty one. Hashtag, what's on my sex tape? Most of it's comedic, like the first one. I'm savage. Uh, Name's Marley Marv, hitting the pussy dog style. And it shows a dog hitting a tail. Nothing. Uh, Deep throating a jello shot. Her heating up dinner when he gets home and a woman with her legs spread in front of a fireplace. Just sex? What else would be on the tape made of sex? It should just have sex on the tape. It should be more. Silly question is silly. Next you'll ask, what's on my rowboat? And this person did duct tape. Uh, Mascara running down my face. Smeared lipstick and a whole lot of double chins. Uh, That was pornographic. I didn't want to actually see that. 
Uh, okay, this has gone off hill. I, I thought this was more comedy, and now when I go back to it, it's not, it's pretty dirty. So, we're gonna, we're gonna move along. Not that I'm a, a prude, but that's definitely, it was comedic when I clicked it the first time. Um, also, I was gonna cover in our This America, Add Trump Ruin a Book. Um, gonna, was gonna recover that hashtag, but I'm not going to. Every day you can just go in to explore, and there's an anti-Trump, anti-conservative, anti-Christian something going on. I try to cover some of them, but it's, it's what Twitter is. It's a liberal haven, and they only care about liberals, and it's pretty fucked up. So, let's go into our, this is America. Wanna preface this, I could give a fuck what Biden does. But this is once again a show about our biased media, and this would not fly for a conservative. Benny starts us off. Joe Biden is touring an auto plant in Michigan, a must-win for Democrats. A blue-collar union auto worker asked Joe about protecting gun rights. Biden screams at voter, points finger in his face, says he will ban AR-14s, which nobody knows what it is, insults him, and looks scared. We'll listen to it. We'll listen to, oh, then read what the media did and what people said and then we'll play a media clip and it's what you thought it was it makes him look good oh joe looks like he could take on trump because he screams at voters this is america don't catch you slipping now don't catch you slipping now look what i'm whipping now this is america don't catch you slipping now it's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. And this is America in 2019. Now that's the sound bite. Here's NBC deceptively editing it to make them look okay. On primary day in Battleground, Michigan, a tense confrontation. Joe Biden cursing at an auto worker who went after his views on guns. Second I'm not taking your gun away at all. You need 100 rounds? Biden, who supports banning assault weapons, pulled no punches as he toured a Detroit auto plant. Let's take your AR, your AR-14s. But along with the chants and cheers, an angry confrontation with one auto worker who confronted Biden on guns. Not taking your gun away at all. 
You need 100 rounds? You need a video and you say I'm going to take our guns. I did not say that. I did not say that. Touring an auto plant in Detroit earlier in the day, Biden got testy with a man who asked why he wants to take away guns. I support the Second Amendment. I did not say that. I did not say that. It's like 2016 all over again. We're going to make him look great. We're going to protect him. Because he's the most qualified candidate ever. It's coming. Just haven't heard it yet. Media took a gander at Uncle Joe at the car plant and they swooned. The first order of business was for Biden campaign to put out a happy spin on things. Andrew Bates, we will literally pay for them to keep promoting it. Doug Hay, I don't think this is going to hurt Biden. We have submitted requests for a rare sheet and contracts and proper order of the DNC sycophants of the media complex have risen in predictable faction declaring what a magnificent performance the unhinged display from Biden has seen. It has devolved into classic, do not believe your lying senses. David Frum, kind of amazing that anybody thinks this video makes Biden look anything other than terrific. He shushes the aide who wants to lead him away and then engages in a hostile critic face-to-face, fact-to-fact, impressive. Really, Dave? Fact to fact. Biden refers to AR-14s. Good luck. And referred to them as machine guns. Uh, no, they're not. And not to worry, those are details this gun czar, Beto O'Rourke, or Sir sort out. After all, there are 150 million lives to save every year. Because that's what he said. Windsor man, Biden is a tough guy that Trump aspires to be. And so that's what we're going for, tough guy. For most of us, seeing the display from Uncle would be enough to make us take the TV remote away. But sure, let's go with tough. John Marshall agreed. Obviously, Biden not winning any voters who have this attitude about guns. And the directness is a plus for most voters. Directness? We suppose that's an accurate term for telling someone they're full of shit. Might have a quibble on whether there was a selling point. But then we are not direct conduit to the DNC Next, we have one of our favorite conservative pundits weighing in, Anna Navarro. Apparently, the Trump campaign thinks this makes Joe Biden look bad. I love it. This is exactly the fighting Joe. I want to see show up and tell Trump he's full of it. Natalie Finn, the Venn diagram of those who think Biden sounded bad and Trump always sounded good is a circle. It's the same thing. Katniss Huey Burns, how's this playing with Iowans? One voter in Waterloo told me tonight he wants to see more of this from Biden. Would like to see him a little feistier. Glad he did it. Don't mess with family. I imagine Biden's full of shit exchange today only helps him. It reminds me when he called a voter a damn liar in Iowa and his supporters loved it and wanted to see more. Recall here. So great. We have the media complex praising Joe for what amounts to be a performance that led to a fourth place result, which is exactly what it was. Alyssa Milano, you know she's going to come in. That's bullshit. This exchange is why I endorse Joe Biden for president. You have to be able to have a tough conversation with those who disagree with you. Well, well, well. It is an interesting statement. Now when the Republicans are having a tough conversation with those who disagree, what do elite liberals like yourself do? Play the victim card. You're a hypocrite, period. And you are full of BS. Quote me on that. Then there was Biden trying to fucking say the following. Britt Hume, not backed by anyone else reporting that I know of either. It's simply a false account of Biden did and said at the time. Andrew K., the K-file. 
Biden on MSNBC last night said of his vote for the Iraq war, I didn't believe he had those nuclear weapons. I didn't believe he had those weapons of mass destruction. I'd play it, but I don't need to. I'll let a liberal take it apart. He said his vote was for inspectors to prove they didn't have WMDs. This isn't backing our reporting. Biden said on the administration WMD case in 2003, I know there's enough circumstantial evidence that it was a jury trial. I could convic- I would convict you. In February 2003, I support the resolution to go to war. I'm not opposed to war to remove weapons of mass destruction from Iraq. I'm not opposed to war to remove Saddam from those weapons if it comes to that. This is a new rationale for Biden, but it's similar to his stance a year after the war began when it became clear there were no WMDs, and he argued the war was justified on violating international orders alone. Yeah, that's what he said. But is the media, or did MSNBC push back? No, we are now going to frame things that Uncle Joe is a guy for us. Here's them fawning over him, telling a voter they're full of shit. Folks, thank you. i got to wait one more minute, folks. There's one more person I want to thank. Whom, a man who electrified this state and nation. One of the most incredible runs of the United States Senate we have ever seen here in this state. A man who demonstrated enormous compassion and courage in the wake of the shooting in El Paso. A man with unlimited future. A man who will be changing this nation for the better for many years to come. Ladies and gentlemen, better O'Rourke. And his wife, Amy. Are you with Joe? Ladies and gentlemen, el próximo presidente de los Estados Unidos, Joe Biden. Let's do it for Joe. I want to make something clear. I'm going to guarantee you this is not last year's scene of this guy. You're going to take care of the gun problem with me. You're going to be the one that leads this effort. I'm counting on you. I'm counting on you. We need you badly. The state needs you. The country needs you. You're the best. Thank you, thank you, thank you. One of the things you see, A, you're the front runner. People start to show up to get in your face a little bit. B, uh, Michigan, going back to Ronald Reagan, this is why they have the term Reagan Democrats. You have, you know, white factory workers, mostly white men, who own guns, who think the Democrats are going to take them away. Joe Biden today having uh, one of those moments. Joe Biden defending his position on gun control, saying the gentleman on the floor was exaggerating it, that he's not coming to take away their guns. Uh, but he uh, he's called the man, uh, he said he's full of, and then he called them a horses. It's noon or it's 9 o'clock out in California. I'm not going to fill in the blanks there. Uh, you know, again, some people see that as charming, a candidate who's willing to air it out face-to-face with a guy on the floor. Some people say, whoa, you could choose different words, couldn't you? Yeah, Biden has had a few of these interactions with voters over the course of the primary campaign where he's sort of used some language that is, um, you know, a little bit questionable. Um, but I think for his campaign, it's 
they've pushed it out and said that this shows Biden's authenticity, the no malarkey part of the the Biden um, approach to politics. Though I don't think that hurts Joe Biden. I I mean, his campaign isn't tweeting it out, basically. (laughs) That that shows him pushing back on an issue that that is a signature issue. Probably not a Biden voter anyway, though. Right, seriously. That guy guy did not (laughs) appear to be a Sanders one either. Did Did not appear to be a Sanders or a Biden. There was something that Trump said in 2016. I could go out on Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody in the head and people still vote for me. Media gashed him. It was a stupid fucking statement. But the point is, we're in that point where Biden literally could kill somebody. And they're going to still say he's the man. He swept last night. He's going to be the Dem nominee. And they're going to reframe everything he ever did. They're not going to push back. There'll be puff pieces. There'll be puff interviews. And Trump, well, he's got to continue doing what he's doing. Do his fucking rallies and stay away from the media. Because they, once again, are calling it the Trump virus. I don't need to give any more definition to what they're going to do over the next, what do we got, uh, six months till the election? It's freaking March, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November. We have eight months. For eight months, Biden's whole life is going to be rewritten You're going to hear he's the most qualified president to get America back on track, to go back to our values. We're going to rewrite that he was part of the administration that vacated the Middle East and let the fucking uh, ISIS take over. We're going to not talk about he was part of the administration that literally started kids in cages. His Iraq vote's going to go the fuck away. His gaffes are going to be deceptive media Deceptive editing when everybody in the fucking world knows he just did it. AR-14s. No, that's not what they're called, Uncle Joe. Back in the day, he said take a shotgun. Shoot it off in the air. That's all you need a shotgun. Biden isn't an evil person. Biden is, of the lefties, the least scary. But the problem with Biden is... He's George Bush. He's going to be a gaffatron. But the difference will be he can get away with it. Because the media now is part of the Biden campaign. They are officially members of the Biden campaign. They will promote Biden. They will take him along and care for him. And you're going to have Biden run down your neck. Prepare for Biden op-eds, Biden documentaries, Biden, 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 Biden. You heard it with, I literally lamed it. It's just Biden. It's now the time. They're going to give up the Bernie. We might find a few here or there on MSDNC who didn't want Biden. But it is going to be Biden 24-7 on CNN. He is the next anointed one, dear leader. And we'll hit that on our next podcast. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Please feel free to share with your family and friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOP Podcast, gmail.com. More to follow on that in a second. You can get the show on SoundCloud, Pockets Attic, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and Pocket Cast. Remember, check out the Facebook page at FOP Podcast and the Twitter page, FOP Tony Reed. Our next show is going to be the... 15th of March, year of our Lord, 2020. It's going to be a Sunday show. Much shorter, won't be over three hours. Less sound bites, I promise. To the email, I'm asking everybody who listens to the show to do me a favor. 
I used to get emails and it kind of stopped. I'm wondering if Gmail's fucking around. So I'd ask my longtime listeners, just send me a radio check. Just title it radio check subject. Hey, Tony Reed, here's an email. Eat shit and die. I don't care. Say whatever you want to say. And shoot me an email to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. If I don't receive any emails at that email address, I'm going to change emails and we're going to go with something else. Because I usually get comments, questions, suggestions. I get one about every couple weeks. I don't get anything on that email except for eBay bullshit. That's all I get. And Facebook crap and junk mail. So I'm asking everybody who listens, if you're a a dedicated listener and you listen to every show, please send me an email to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. I really want to see if the email is working and I want some more listener suggestion segments. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah-yeahs. Enjoy the rest of your week. And tune in Sunday for our next show. That's right, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday will be our next show. As always, thanks for listening and take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Makes every day count. I'm the sun and the air. All the shyness that is criminally broken. I'm sun and air. But nothing in particular.